the best thing to do here is kind of go back through the information and then we can end up on what was just came out yesterday on our independence day it's pretty base this judge is awesome man um so if you look it's down in the chat as well as if you can't find the nest it's down in the chat uh back in may on may 23rd tracy put out this mega thread on all the reporting that she's been able to do and connecting everything if you guys want to take a look at the actual case itself uh it's actually listed there the third one down and this is all, by the way, this is not trial. Like a lot of people think this is some kind of trial. No, 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 no. This is just an injunction hearing. Like the case hasn't even really started yet. The whole, but the whole focus was to get the government enjoined to stop censoring. And this is not just Twitter. This is all of social media. This is, this is, this is a big, big deal. Um, you know, we were talking about Twitter files and name redacted myself. Tracy, a lot of us been talking about Twitter files and censorship. Mike Benz talking about censorship for a while, but like this is the big boy. Like this is this is all the nuts here. This is not just Twitter. This is not just just Facebook. This is all of it. And so a lot of the depositions that have come out of this on this case, like Elvis Chan, if you guys don't remember who Elvis Chan is, he's the guy out of the San Francisco FBI field office that basically was going to Twitter saying, "Take this down, take that down." Basically, had almost an office there uh, between him and Jim Baker, right? So. But take a look at the thread, right? So I'll go ahead and just, I'll read her first tweet so you guys can get an understanding. So we're going to get the recording going. We've got about 127 people in here right now. So many of you heard uh, me discuss this case in detail as I've been reporting on diligently for the past year. However, some of you are unsure of why it's important or what it all means. This thread will serve as a summary to this point and a detailed explanation of the last filing in the case, which is a virtual handbook to government censorship based on what limited discovery has been provided so far. And it has been limited, by the way, guys. It's, it's very small. Uh, Missouri v. Biden was filed on May 5th of 2022. Since then, it was initially filed. It's taken quite a trip through the court system. The complaint has been amended three times, with the most recent amendment being to transform the case into a class suit. This is due to overwhelming evidence of broad harm to the constitutional rights of all Americans. You can view the docket in the link. So the docket is there. And just to, I like her summary here. I'm just going to keep going. But so the complaint alleged that the U.S. government was not only threatening and coercing social media companies to censor Americans on social media, but they're also working with social media companies to accomplish that goal. It alleges that topics surrounding COVID-19, the origins of COVID, the Great Barrington Declaration, uh, election integrity concerns, the COVID shot, Hunter Biden laptop story, et cetera, were under scrutiny by the White House and other government agencies, and that that government had very publicly threatened to take action against social media companies should they not act to censor viewpoints on those topics that were disfavored by the government. The plaintiffs in the case, the states of Missouri and Louisiana, along with several other pri private plaintiffs, moved for expedited discovery to be able to obtain a limited set of evidence as well as depositions of certain individuals or officials. This evidence, they argued, would allow them to make the case for a temporary injunction to stop the government from infringing on their First American rights. Okay, great. So that's essentially it. And the judge is T Terry Doty, and it's in a Louisiana court. But the, the, obviously the case is called Missouri v. Biden. It's because it's the state of Louisiana, the state of Missouri, and several plaintiffs. And there's, the list of defendants is actually quite interesting as well. And just to kind of give you some background on this, if you guys remember, um, <clears throat> at the appellate court level, the government argued that really no one should have, have to leave their government jobs. So this is basically they're trying to bring in Jen Psaki <clears throat> and many other officials and be, uh, to, for deposition. Uh, Jen Psaki did, she did fight it. So she, she basically, she took it to a, case, a court in Virginia and said, 
that she should not be that she not should not be required to be deposed in this case. Even though, if you guys remember that video where she came out and says, "Yes, we're working with directly with social media companies to take down mis and, and disinformation," I mean, she said it from the podium. This is this is not like up for debate, and so that's why they wanted her on this case. So she took her case to Virginia, <clears throat> and the Virginia judge said, <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> "So." The, it, Basically, the Virginia judge said, no, not doing this. Uh, it needs to go back to where the case is in Louisiana. And essentially, so the court agreed, and I'll just go through this real quick. Uh, the court agreed and ruled that now private citizen Jen Psaki needed to testify. The government in Psaki, represented by Ree, went to a court in Virginia to try to get that judge to stop the deposition. The judge in that case laid into both the government and Psaki. And they basically said, so it went back down to Louisiana. Boy, Twitter's threads are really kind of screwing up right now. Um, it went back to Louisiana after the Virginia judge essentially said, quote, you're not going to like how I rule on this and your argument is terrible. So I'm sending it back to the judge who should be making this decision. The judge in Louisiana again decided Saki should be deposed if the government didn't have any responsive docs from the press office. Somehow those docs must have appeared. And they did. So right in, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but it was somewhere, I think it was in January they had till January 5th uh, to provide, a, it was about 20,000 documents that the government was supposed to provide to them in this case. And essentially they had until January 5th to do that. And then January 8th, they could start. And so what, what, what they were trying to do is getting, getting a bunch of people removed to, for like lower level people so they wouldn't be deposed. But when these documents came back, they were like, well, okay, so these people are, and they're going to stay in this court. One person specifically um, was Rob Flaherty. Now, Rob Flaherty, if you guys don't know, he was the White House Director of Digital Communications. Okay, He was known to be very abusive to social media companies, and uh, many of them did resist calls for censorship until he basically threatened them with uh, enforcement action. And Rob Flaherty is all over this. Um, they filed their motion to support of the temporary injunction, a hearing that had been waiting on for nearly a year because of government delays and obfuscations. It was 1,200 facts about government coordinated censorship. And people are like, well, what about this thing? And what about that thing? It's like, listen, guys, they just have to provide examples. Um, I think Benny Johnson had a video out today where they were actually discussing this. And they're like, look, we just had to provide some examples for this case to make sense so we can have the injunction hearing thus moving forward. When this case goes to trial, and it appears to, it's going to be, as, as when I read kind of the decision of the judge of what he's hinting at here, uh, a lot more of this stuff's going to come out. Like, this is just real basic bone stuff that's in this right now. Matter of fact, here, let me pull this off my computer, make this a little bit easier to go over. Uh, Jen or, or Carolina, do you guys have any questions while I get this pulled up? Um, so I sent you all of the DMs uh, from, like, the last uh, spaces that you hosted, because I did do bookmarks. And so check those, because there's a ton of information there. So I'm just sending you things. I don't want to post them in the oh. Like that. Cool. And, yeah. I found all of it. I'm seeing it now. That's so hard to hide from me, you know. I love it. Good job, Carolina. Oh, yeah. There's all kinds of stuff in here. <laughs> and now okay. you know why they hate me and want my head in a silver platter. <laughs> I love it's it. It's a log. I, I log everything I do as I do it. It's just so hard for me to pull it back up. <laughs> I know you're loving this. Oh, and then I'm sending you one more. 
Wait, Caroline, are you also, is your, like, computer also hyper-organized? Because, like, you're just making me feel bad about myself over here. Oh, my gosh, you have no idea. Like, as I do any type of screenshot, I put it into my filing. I'm, like, the most organized, like, filing person. So, all right, um, I'm going to read this, but then I'm going to come back to this when we read the decision. So this 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 will really kind of sink in a little bit. So... Uh, as Tracy had tweeted here, she said, so far, I've only really discussed the procedural happenings. However, what's limited ex expedited discovery in this case is exposed, and this is separate from and apart from the Twitter files, is both un unprecedented and aberrant. So the most widespread troubling discovery that CISA, which you guys don't know, it's the cybersecurity division underneath the Department of Homeland Security, uh, CISA has designated, quote, your thoughts as part of government's infrastructure. They call it cognitive infrastructure. And if they're able to do that, that's how they were essentially um using using the government systems to to actually censor you so uh uncovered did dc they, they did some reporting on this it was by tracy back in january of 2020 so this year uh that that is in the thread as well highly recommend going through this this is about the this is about cisa's uh critical infrastructure calling cognitive infrastructure your thoughts right uh jen easterly who is the cisa director and there's some screenshots here of, of the case, and I'm going to go through those as well. <clears throat> but just take a look at it. Uh, this goes into Rob Flaherty here. Um, like I mentioned who Flaherty was earlier, the White House Communications uh, Director. Uh, and then it, a lot of that stuff's in there. So we're going to go through that in this thread. But I just wanted you guys to point that out and go check out that. Uh, go, go check out Uncovered DC's reporting on this. Excellent, excellent stuff. I don't know why you guys aren't following it if you're not already. So as we kind of go through this, like I said, I'm just going to do a real brief review of, of all this stuff guys okay so i'm gonna be quick um and again so the judge has been like so this is something that trace and i were talking about before when i did this space was the judge has done the right thing the entire time the appeals court has done the right thing the entire time depositions were granted the discovery was granted the motion to dismiss was denied the judge has expressed several times his shock at what has been exposed and the judge plays plays by the rules both he and the appellate court are significantly alarmed about what has come out so just to keep in mind, there is a panel on the uh, fifth district that are basically overseeing this. So when they tried to get the motion to dismiss, they basically created a panel on the fifth circuit and they are kind of like kind of keeping an eye on this case from afar. And so, so far uh, they've pretty much allowed this judge to handle the case accordingly. But like I said, they're keeping it kind of on a tight leash. So everything that this judge has done and is doing so far um, is already being being uh, uh, looking at by by the Fifth Circuit. So this is not like it, whatever you hear on MSNBC or whatever. I, I can't even imagine what the hell they're saying right now, but it's probably insane because it's it's all here. Like it, this is not this is just not. So if you guys can go through why they're arguing it um, for the temporary injunction, um, it says right here, like in the first sentence of the brief, the government filed to argue for why there should not be a temporary injunction halting their communication and threats to social media companies. They hide behind the quote, foreign assaults on critical election infrastructure. If you guys remember from the Twitter files, the uh, Global Engagement Center and a lot of these, like the Virality Project and the Election uh, Integrity Partnership, um, these groups were basically centering on a mass industrialized scale. This wasn't just about taking down a few hundred posts a day. They were taking down upwards of 50,000 posts and accounts a day. This was industrialized. And they were, they were basically able to do this through the government by saying, 
by putting in these tranches of Russian disinformation buckets or Hindu nationalist uh, information tranches. And they were, they basically, these were American citizens that they were saying were actually Rus Russian disinformation agents. And that's why they were able to use the, the foreign type of uh, assets we have within the government to actually do this domestically back on, on the citizens of the United States. And then whatever they could not do legally or constitutionally, they would extra constitutionally do it through election integrity partnership and ultimately, which then became the Virali Project. You guys remember that from one of the Twitter files drops as well. Well, that's actually in this case. So they're saying, she's saying here that depositions and evidence obtained in the case proves that actors responsible for censorship admit that most of what they consider, quote, misinformation was domestic in nature, including from the uh, election integrity partnership. Obviously, keep EIP in mind. If you guys know what that is, I've gone over that and I don't know how many spaces, Alex Stamos, CIA, Renee DeResta, all these guys are, are, are caught up in it. They've, they've admitted this on video. Alex Stamos actually famously admitted it on video. Name Redacted has it in one of his threads as well. And um, so if you take a look at the document, it's actually, it's actually a screenshot. So it says, factually, defendant's brief goes off the rails in its very first sentence. There... Defendants claimed that their censorship activities were designed to prevent hostile foreign assaults on critical election infrastructure. The evidence demonstrates, however, that the federal censorship overwhelmingly targets domestic speech by American citizens, not by foreign disinformation. For example, Rene DeResta, who I call CIA Rene, um, Rene DeResta states that, quote, the vast majority of voting related misinformation in the 2020 election was domestic. OK. Well, the IP report, and this is the Election Integrity Partnership report, agrees that supposed, quote, election misinformation was pushed by authentic domestic actors. So real people, not bots. Um, Alex Stamos stated that, quote, almost all of this is domestic, right? As he said, it's all domestic, end quote. And the vast majority is domestic. And then Kate Starbird, if you guys don't know who Kate Starbird is, she, she popped up in a couple of Twitter files. She comes up in censorship stuff all the time. She's out of Washington State. She's connected with all these. She was actually part of the team that, that in conjunction with the Stanford Internet Observatory, were able to actually track um, viral posts, where they were at in different stages of virality, and then when to cut it off so it would not get... Like so basically what they, 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 they created this algorithm that would actually essentially pick up a post, right? And then a little bit larger account would pick it up and then say somebody like uh, that works for Breitbart or something, they pick it up and they retweet it. And then it goes out to an account that has two or three million views. By the time it's gone past somebody that has, you know, 20,000 plus followers on the retweet, it's, it's too difficult to contain. So the, they, they shut it down. The, the, the algorithm was able to determine where to stop it before it would get to that point. And they have it all mapped out. They have everything. And so they were doing this um, quite on an industrialized scale. Now, like I said before, keep in mind the EIP, right? Election Integrity Partnership. Uh, basically, out of the EIP became the Virality Project, right? So this is the medical bureaucracy portion of the censorship apparatus admits that for supposed COVID misinformation, the majority of the misinformation came from domestic actors. So it became the Virality Project when they were not just focusing on election, you know, election denierism and all that stuff. It's when they, they said, you know, we've got to do COVID too. Not only do we need to do COVID, but we need to do X, Y, and Z. And that's where Virality Project came in. So the Election Integrity Partnership was just a small piece before it became the Virality Project. Uh, that's also in some of the Twitter files drops as well, if you guys want to go check that out. But again, here, it's got a screenshot of, of the case. It's all right in here. I'll read this real quick. Like I said, I'm going to try to go through this very, very quickly for you guys. 
I figured two, three hours of this, you guys are going to, your eyes are going to be crossed, but look, this is, this is like my wheelhouse. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to keep going for now. So again, the virality project, the medical bureaucracy portion of censorship apparatus. So from, from the actual case, uh, the Virani project admits that for supposed COVID misinformation, foreign actors reach appeared to be far less than that of domestic actors. The FBI censorship of supposedly foreign speech is just a tiny handful of examples swept into the censorship net hundreds of thousands of social media posts and engagements by American citizens, as well as organic content uh, by American freelance journalists. <laughs> uh, when CISA reports misinformation for its censorship, oh, by the way, um, the organic content by American freelance journalists, uh, Tracy Beans, Patrick, uh, uh, Patrick, they were all called Russian bots because they were reporting on this stuff organically. So it actually came out when this, when the, when the Twitter files broke. Uh, Patrick Hennigan found his name. Tracy found her name. I found my old account in that list. I was one of those people that got caught up in this. They got banned, uh, like one of my seven accounts ago. I actually found it. My largest account that I had, I was like at 150,000 at that time. I, I don't want it back. I like, I like the way my account's going right now. And I, I like it. The, I, I have it the way I want it. So when CISA reports misinformation for censorship, it does not bother to determine whether the speech is foreign or domestic. CISA does not, quote, take steps to see whether it came from foreign or domestic sources, but they would just pass it along to social media platforms. Defendant's second sentence makes a key admission that, quote, various agencies and officials spoke publicly and privately with their social media companies to call the company's attention to misinformation spreading on their platforms. This sentence admits defendants are but for cause of censorship. Uh, by the way, the defense in this case is the U.S. government, many other uh, many people within the Biden administration, within the White House, a lot of people at like CISA, uh, including Jen Easterly, who's the director, and many other people. So this is all in here. Uh, you really need to go look through this case. This thread is excellent. It'll really help you understand what's going on. So we can keep going on and on, but I think you guys get the general idea of what's going on here. Now, this is why this is so important. So as the evidence proves, there was a conspiracy behind the censorship. The White House campaign integrated with the Surgeon General, the CDC, the Census Bureau campaigns drew directly from White House pressure. NIAID and NIH censorship efforts draw from the CDC. Uh, <clears throat> CISA, FBI, DOJ, ODNI, which is the Office of Director of National Intelligence, and other agencies worked together and all participated in meetings together to facilitate pressure and censorship. Again, if you guys remember from the Twitter files, the Global Engagement Center, there was like nine different uh, governmental offices that were all connected in this Global uh, Engagement Center. And it was essentially the hub to be taking requests from all of it, then filtered through CISA and then CISA through either their NGOs or directly to uh, these social media companies getting this stuff taken down at an industrial scale. Like that's how all, all of this basically CISA became like the switchboard. We're going to go over that in a little bit, but I'll kind of explain that here as we get there. Um, CISA and the FBI worked, worked together directly to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story. And uh, NIAID and NIH conspired together to censor the lab leak theory and the Great Barrington Declaration. The NIAID is embedded in White House censorship activities. CISA and GEC, remember the Global Engagement Center, coordinate with each other and with NGOs like the Election Integrity uh, Partnership, which also, like I said, EIP became the Virality Project, if you guys remember. So now this is actually from this is actually from the case. This is from the uh, the filing, and it kind of goes through here. And it says, for example, White House pressure campaign clo closely integrated with the Office of the Surgeon General, and it lays all this stuff down. And if you guys look at it, it actually has all the documents and all the exhibits that are 
basically pertaining to this statement that's in this. And obviously it says CISA and the GEC coordinate with both each other and private entities and massive surveillance and censorship project like the EIP, et cetera. And if you thought that it stopped just with agencies and you'd be wrong, high-level congressional staffers coordinated with the FBI in social media and secret meetings as well. Uh, the partnership between White House and Congress gives coercive force to the censorship activities and there's text to prove it. So they actually have texts of this, by the way. Ah, uh, yes. Jen, our good friend David Brock uh, in his pre-bunking uh, stuff is actually in here as well. So Jen Easterly, who's the director of CISA, texted that CISA wanted to play a coordinated role so that relevant agencies could try to pre-bunk and debunk trends of information uh, to prevent the chaos that would ensue if every agency was contacting platforms on their own. So if you remember, look at the David Brock memos. Uh, one of them he was talking about the strategy moving forward for 2022 and 2024 was to have a massive pre-bunking type operation moving forward. That's in the memo. I've gone over this in another space. I'll see if I can find it after I'm done presenting here. I'll post it in the chat. You guys really should read that stuff. It's, uh, they tell you what they're going to be doing. And this is prior to this case. Like that memo came out prior to this case. So uh, out, of the, out of the case as well, what I was talking about, the pre-bunking. So high-level congressional staffers coordinate with the FBI and pressuring platforms to increase censorship and secret meetings conducted in Silicon Valley. The White House's campaign of public threats against platforms demanding greater censorship reinforced by its political allies in Congress and other senior federal officials grants coercive force to the censorship efforts of all federal agencies involved. Uh, Director Easterly's text messages state that CISA wants to play a, quote, coordinated role so that relevant agencies can try to pre-bunk, debunk the miss and dis and mal, by the way, trends in order to prevent the chaos that would result if every federal department agency is, quote, in independently reaching out to platforms. Yeah. So indeed, Secretary Mayorkas aptly describes the censorship campaign as occurring across federal enterprise. So that's what it is. And, and that's what I was talking about just a minute ago was that CISA is the, the switchboard, right? The hub where everything, all they could filter all their censorship requests. Uh, they Like Tracy put here, a help desk, if you will, a censorship help desk. <laughs> so I laugh because it's so dark. Uh, but I argue that uh, recently they attempted to stand up for the disinformation governance board several months back. They need funding uh, and an air of official to go along with the already clandestine activity. So uh, name redacted is in here. He did excellent, excellent reporting on the, um, if you guys remember, well, if you, well, first of all, if you guys remember the disinformation governance board out of DHS, that was the Nina Jankowicz stuff. But it, they just moved those operations once it quote unquote supposedly closed down, which it didn't for a while. They just moved it into the Foreign Malign Influence Center, which already got its funding through the NDAA. And then name, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if you're up as a speaker or not, but I think it was in April when the Foreign Malign Influence Center went live. So that just happened this year. And that was actually funded through the, the, the past NDAA. So to get rid of this, I think it goes up for renewal, I think every seven years or something like that. So that's around. The, form, the, the FMIC is around and it's going to be around for a while. But right now they're technically enjoined to prevent uh, and they're enjoined right now with this with this latest ruling from being able to do that. But we'll see. Go ahead, name if you wanted to kind of color in the lines on that. Yeah, the Foreign Line Influence Center was uh, given uh, operational authority or whatever back in 2020. Uh, but it took two years to open up and they opened up in September of 2022. So 
with this ruling on Missouri v. Biden, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, obviously, these attorneys, uh, Bailey and Landry, do not know about the Foreign Malign Influence Center, but the Foreign Malign Influence Center exists literally to, well, a, a big part of their role is to coordinate uh, through CISA to the social media companies uh, to counter foreign malign influence. So I wonder, um, you know, I've got tried to get in touch with, you know, both attorney offices, but, you know, they don't really take a lot of calls from strangers or the public. But, you know, I, I wonder how this ruling would affect that. I mean, if, if they're going to do a blanket sweep on, you know, no government agency shall uh, coordinate with social media to take down, uh, you know, posts of any kind, you know, then it would apply to them because that's what they do, whether foreign or domestic, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. If you guys uh, go follow name redacted, go check out some of his threads. The FMIC is a great one. I'll put it up um, on the top. You know, one of my favorites is Bill Evanina, but I, I don't like, I just like Bill Evanina for other reasons, mainly you know, Russiagate and everything before that. So, like, I've got my problems with old Billy Boy, but uh, he also pops up in a lot of the threads that named it on censorship. So, excellent, excellent work. Uh, but it's, it's all in there as well. And I do want to note this real quick. I didn't bring this up, and I should have. My, my, my apologies, Tracy, but I agree with this sentiment. She says, that she's also arguing that the lawsuit is the reason that they are attempting to cram through the Restrict Act. Uh, I agree with this 1000%, uh, which is all but blown up, which I thought was hilarious because <laughs> the, the, one of the people sponsoring it out of the Hill had to come out and write this entire thread about how we were all full of shit and we didn't know what we were talking about. It's not true. And how dare you say that this is a critical infrastructure censorship. That's not true. It's just this and it's TikTok. And it was like, dude, we're reading it. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking like. I'm reading the bill. Like, did you read the bill? That's the question. But but she said, uh, I agree with that. The Restrict Act, which thankfully we put, made it, I guess we, the media, a lot of people made enough noise where it got back to folks on Capitol Hill. And they're like, wait a minute, wait, we can't get behind this. Like these people are going to go crazy. So, you know, thankfully, like Dustin and Jen and many of the people that were doing a lot of stuff on the Restrict Act, uh, bravo. It is being reformulated. I'm seeing some new new stuff, but it's not nearly as crazy as what that Restrict Act did. But it's it's going to always come back. Um, and I believe it. And it says it's because they need Congress to approve their actions. So it's like if the Restrict Act goes in, then they, then basically anybody that's going to be held accountable through all this will be like, well, this is part of critical infrastructure and cognitive infrastructure and blah, 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 blah. That's the whole point. Now, I was talking about this earlier, but now we're hit at the part of the case where it says next defendants claim that much of the quote challenged conduct occurred in the previous administration as if there's somehow factual deficiencies in their theory. So it's not clear why defendants think so. Uh, federal social media censorship violates the First Amendment, regardless of the administration or political party that does it. Moreover, the evidence demonstrates an aggressive acceleration of federal social media censorship activities and the direct involvement of the White House once the Biden administration took office. Many of the most egregious acts of censorship in 2020 such as Dr. Fauci's campaigns to discredit the lab leak theory, go figure, right? And the Great Barrington Declaration, CISA's launching of the Election Integrity Partnership, EIP, CISA's, quote, switchboarding, as I was talking about earlier, how they were kind of a hub and the switchboard for all of the different agencies that would come down that would want to put um, censorship or censorship requests so that 
that basically Facebook and Twitter, we saw in Twitter files where Yoel Roth was talking about, we need to centralize this. Like we're getting stuff from everywhere. We need to have it come from one place. That's what the point of this was with CISA. It was acting as a switchboard. And it's saying that CISA switchboarding and the FBI and CISA's campaign to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story were achieved without and were achieved without no White House involvement. In fact, when attacking the Great Barrington Declaration, Dr. Collins secretly noted uh, to Dr. Fauci, and by the way, that's Collins of the NIAID, which is essentially, uh, and then noted to Dr. Fauci that the White House would disapprove and that Fauci assured him that they have other things to worry about. So you're talking, they're talking about Francis Collins at the NIAID. The dude that was during COVID was playing his guitar, his acoustic guitar on social media while he was doing all this. It's just crazy. Um, so then it says literally three days after Biden took office, the operation was flying. White House immediately launched a pressure campaign on social media, to, uh, on platforms to suppress COVID disinformation. Surgeon General launched his signature disinformation initiative at a virality project event at the Stanford Internet Observatory. I was talking about this earlier. And Biden himself publicly pressured platforms on July 16, 2021, a day after that, uh, Jen Psaki and Vivek Murthy did the same. So this is, um. Obviously, the Surgeon General at Murphy, right? You guys remember that? I was on TV. They were talking about, she was at the podium talking about, yes, we're going to pressure social media companies to take down this and disinformation, blah, 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 blah. That's why she's being deposed. Well, they wanted to depose her for this. but So you guys can kind of go through this thread a little bit more. It's all here. I think, I think Tracy did an amazing work, but I think we have a basis of understanding at this point. I want to get any questions or comments before I move forward. But I think you guys basically understand what this case is about. And there's just eye popping stuff in this case. Like we talk, we talk about Twitter files and Twitter files are great. Like Twitter files opened up a lot of people to, for like, they can kind of understand. And I've been covering the Twitter files on, I did every Twitter files drop space. I did space for every one of them. Um, it's important. This, this is my number one topic. Um, and you guys can kind of understand, and it's all here. This case is massive. Like the, the, the Twitter files are small, and they're, they're great. I'm glad they came out. This is the big boy. This is all of it. This is everything. And again, this is just an expedited discovery through injunction hearing. This is just a temporary injunction hearing. This is not even the trial. This is not even the case yet. We're just getting started. You guys really need to go look through this. It's all here, and it's going to. And as the case goes on, there's going to be more and more and more and more and more. And this judge is just not having it. I, this judge is awesome, man. It's it's nice to see justice working a little bit in this country every now and then. It's nice to see. Uh, I talked about who Rob, Rob Flaherty was, the White House Communications Director, Digital Communications Director, sorry, excuse me, uh, and how he basically was like this massive bully. Now, there is something here I'm going to talk about with uh, Rob Flaherty, and this is, I don't know how far down it is, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to read it. This is out of the case. Quite obviously, none of this verbal abuse is designed solely to, quote, better understand the issues it's designed to pressure the platforms to censor speech disfavored by the White House. Rob Flaherty himself says this quite explicitly, quote, at the end of the day, I care mostly about what actions and changes you're making to ensure you're not making our country's vaccine hesitancy problem worse. Now, if you guys remember the Twitter files, well, they, were, they introduced malinformation, right? Malinformation is not just miss or diss. The malinformation is true information but that would cause people to have to question what's being told to them or question efficacy of the vaccine, so on and so forth. So malinformation is something that, that is true, but they just don't like how people are going to respond to it. So they, it's better to suppress that. That's crazy. That's beyond, I mean, there's no excuse, obviously. There's no excuse for any of this, but you guys get my point. 
Um, Twitter, uh, Twitter uh, employees noting that the White House posed, quote, one really tough question about why Alex Berenson hasn't been kicked off the platform. And that Andy Slavitt, quote, really wanted to know about Alex Berenson because he was the epicenter of disinfo and radiated outwards uh, to the persuadable public. If you guys remember, Alex Berenson uh, actually won a case against Twitter, got his account reinstated for this very thing that they're talking about right here. So there's a lot of stuff that's in that case, too, you want to take a look at. But, uh, yeah, he had to sue, and he, he won, and he sued Twitter and won and got his account back. And, and excellent. It was from this situation right here, from Rob Flaherty and Andy Slavitt. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. To achieve this goal of pressuring the platforms to censor disfavored viewpoints, Rob Flaherty and Slavitt interper- intersperse their private communications with thinly veiled threats of adverse legal consequences, echoing the public statements of Jen Psaki, President Biden, and Bettingfield. And again, there's more exhibits with this in the case. They have that. We don't have it here. I'm sure I can dig it up. Internally, we've been uh, considering our options about what to do about it. Flaherty asking YouTube to report on how it was preventing, quote, vaccine hesitancy and working toward making the problem better. So again, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, every social media company, not just Twitter, guys, every single one. And it was done through the switchboarding at CISA and from the White House through Rob Flaherty. So it's just crazy. And it's all here, guys. Go take a look at it. It's all here. It's really great. And then she got more. There's day two, where they were talking about. Like, it's just all here, guys. So now you have a general understanding about what this case is about. Uh, Carolina, Jennifer, name, anybody, you guys want to have any comments before I kind of move on to what broke yesterday? I want to hear names commentary on this. If he has any. Well, it's obviously very important. I mean, it's great that uh, they got that ruling. um, But more needs to happen, right? This is I'm not going to downplay it. Obviously, it's huge. Okay, but you know, when we see that video of Alex Stamos openly saying he was on some Zoom call um, that this is their way around, you know, the free speech rules, whatever, to open these uh, private organizations, um, Election Integrity Partnership, Virality Project, um, you know, all, all of, you know, those private ones, even though they're getting funding from the government, like, how do we address that? You know, I, I know there was some God trash, you, you know, I forget what it was recently, a couple of weeks ago where they pulled funding for like DFR labs and yeah, what, yeah, they, but they pulled the DOD funding, um, for basically like for Graphica and all the, right. All the ones that were funding, like through our tax dollars that the Pentagon, all that funding has been pulled. So that was huge. And this is huge too. Um, but more needs to be done. Like, how do they, you know, the formal line influence uh, part needs to be addressed. Uh, there should be more oversight. Like, they can't shut that down. It, it's going to exist. But Congress can do, should do more oversight into their activities. Like, what are they labeling as formal line influence and passing it along to social media, which I don't think can be covered under this ruling if it's, you know, quote, foreign, right, because it's a threat to national security, um, that needs to be addressed. There needs to be more oversight into their activities. Um, and uh, these cutout groups, 
and how they're funded needs to be further addressed, right? Because they'll just get around it, you know, instead of CISA going, I don't even know what CISA is doing these days, but um, they'll just go through these cutout groups, you know, that Alex Stamos works at Kate Starboard, CIA Renee, like this is a powerful uh, group and it's been going on for five years now. So we're just talking about it. Go ahead, Tracy. The injunction covers all of that name. They're not allowed to work with those outside groups anymore. It's in the injunction. Oh, the uh, EIP and all those? Yeah, none of them. No outside oh, group, even okay. those well, not named. Go. Yeah, I just that's all I had to say. I'll step back down, but I, w- I had to like jump at the bit on that one. Well, well, how do they enforce it? How do they make sure it's not happening? I, I mean, it's a court order. So this is what everybody keeps on saying. It's a court order, and it's also a court order in the middle of ongoing discovery. So it's not like it's not like they're just order. Look, this argument that the government's just going to ignore it all and do what they want anyway indicates such a much bigger problem. If that's the case, I don't believe it is. I asked the solicitors general this question because everybody was like freaking out. Well, they're just going to ignore it and they'll go to jail like they will literally go to jail if they don't um, follow what they're supposed to be doing. But. This this notion that that all of a sudden the government's just going to ignore court re- rulings is so is so dangerous outside of like then none of the SCOTUS rulings mean anything either. What are we living in and why are we all just sitting around here complaining about it on social media if we legitimately have a government that is no longer following any any rules at all? That's a much bigger problem that I don't think people are like processing in that way. Um so, yeah, I mean, they are under a court order not to do any of those things in the midst of ongoing discovery, um, which would indicate if they were. Um, and if they All hold right, back discovery, good. I mean, if they hold back discovery, that's a whole nother ball game. They've done it before, but there is remedy for this stuff, and it, it includes the bars of a jail cell. So. All right. Good. That's good. Good to hear. Yeah. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read that, too, because, Tracy, you're 100 percent right. And here's the thing. This is the same thing I was talking about with like with the election and stuff. Everybody's talking about, you know, Dominion machines, this and that. Yeah, probably, maybe. I don't know. But they legally did it just like they legally did it here. Yes, it's it's unconstitutional. But all of this, like all this stuff was not made up out of thin air. And and they were basically using and creating a legal system where they could do this. And the court is saying, "Uh, uh, uh, not so fast. I believe that they're going to they're going to have to pull back. I'm, I'm sure there's a lot that we don't know about that's in this case. And as the ongoing discovery goes, we're going to learn more that none of us know about. But I mean, this is a this is a massive start because I, I'll read some of the people that are are enjoined right now. And it's, it's very important to know. Mike's here, too. Perfect. Go ahead, Carolina. Yeah, I was going to tell Tracy if she uh, can just stay on the floor because the algorithms and the way that Twitter censors, um, you know, we're not able to get this information out to the public unless, number one, people retweet the space or let others know, specifically direct messaging. That is how you we break all of the censorship. Uh, for those that don't know me, I was advising the lawyers for Peter McCullough, Mary Bowden, and all the people that were suing uh, Twitter at the time. So I was able to log all the inconsistencies and give it over to their team, even though the lawsuit got slap down uh, but Tracy when you are in the speaker floor it shows that uh, Tracy's speaking so it pushes Twitter uh, to be able to share this so it helps us get this information to the public because we're finding other ways to to keep it on on you know on the top of the algorithm so just a, a thought so if you can stay here with us that will be very helpful to get this information out um Mike also good to see you man 
congratulations on your viral thread the other day. <laughs> um, this is where the party is. It's already up to a part three. I didn't even, uh, man, I wish I had joined earlier. Um, there's like so much going on here. And uh, yeah, this is like one of these days where, you know, sometimes there are these big seismic events that you, you hope will happen, but it's almost, you, you, you don't really dare to dream that it really will. Like, you know, like Elon Musk announcing the acquisition of Twitter was like one of those days. And yesterday was one of those days. This is like something that we sort of saw potentially coming, but to have it happen in such sweeping fashion, such totalizing, you know, I mean, other than the carve-outs, which is, is its own topic. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. But uh, I did want to just say one thing right off the top, which is, you know, these people have already planned their, you know, their escape hatch. You know, there's, I've been in their inner conversations uh, for a long time now with what their plan is to sort of shove things deeper into the civil society uh, world uh, when their government perch gets ex expunged. So um, that is definitely something to be tracking, and I'll be doing a lot of reporting on that uh, on that plan B that they have uh, in the weeks ahead. Uh, one thing I'm going to definitely keep uh, keep up on is who uh, Facebook, any new hires, Facebook and Google. I'm not too concerned about Twitter, but, you know, you never know. But who they bring on, because that's a way to get around it, obviously, too, is just get people in there, which there already are people in there. We don't need to go through that again, but get people in there that are on board with this, uh, um, uh, the motive of that there should be more censorship or just control of uh the narrative on these platforms so you know there's really i don't know how much uh what can be done about that but that's one way they'll get around it and the other way they'll get around it is uh sort of the dark money funding soros or whoever you know opening up uh more new organizations that focus on you know uh, misinformation gathering and bulk collection and getting them over to Facebook directly or, you know, Google and YouTube, they don't need to go through CISA, right? So. Yeah. Well, the idea that, so there was Stanford actually hosted this thing late last year when they started getting in deep crap over the combination of Elon Musk announcing the acquisition of Twitter, the Republican, you know, changeover of the house, the disaster of the disinformation governance board and lawsuits frankly and they uh so they had they hosted this this round table this cyber working group on how to restructure the censorship industry and the whole sort of point of the plan was damn it we really needed government because government was able to spearhead the whole of society effort that is government was able to put, coerce the private sector it was able to fund the civil society and then it was able to provide logistical support and and uh and to to the fact checking organizations and financial support to them without government this whole thing could topple over okay so what we're going to do is we're going to like beef up the role of universities and we're going to have basically ex-government officials we're going to have people with sort of government level clout uh totally you know we're going to we're going to put this the ngo plex on steroids we're going to we're going to pump up the universities with with a ton of money where they can simulate being essentially a kind of we're just going to blow up the government covet cutouts to be the size of a government agency is basically what they're what they're going to pivot to now and i think it's going to move as it has been trend wise you know away from foiable government emails 
we already saw this with CISA using Signal and, and you know, and these encrypted messaging apps and, and, and not even holding on to their own records, giving it to Stanford. You're going to see that phenomenon on steroids. But the great thing, I think, about this ruling is they cut right through the bullshit and said there is no distinction between EIP and CISA. And the fact that they took that position on it means that may, this may be able to use, depending on what the final ruling is, this could be a precedent to actually bust up the cutouts when they start to populate as well. So I'm on uh, uh, Meta's website right now. And uh, I mean, they go through what they do. It says Meta's third party fact checking program. Uh, and this is something uh, our good uh, friend uh, Aaron Berman spoke in detail on the YouTube video with uh, CIA Renee. Thanks for pointing that out, Mike. I didn't even realize that was her at the time. It's crazy. Anyway, their website says working with independent IFCN certified fact checkers who identify, review and rate viral misinformation across Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp. And then they go into detail on their approach to fact checking, which all it is, is what I just read is they have these third party uh, groups that bulk collect uh what they feel is misinformation and funnel it back to Facebook, you know, or, or meta. And then they go and uh, apply their, uh, you know, uh, de-boosting or suspensions or whatever they want across their platforms. And then you go down, you know, I mean, they said they worked in the Australian election in 2022. I mean, they, they're involved in everything. And IFCN, which this is the first I've heard of them, Mike, I don't know if you have, it's the International Fact-Checking Network. This is the first I'm even hear hearing of these, this group. So the International Fact-Checking Network at Ponter. Yeah, Mike, do you Pointer, know about yes. this? So, this is, so, so, okay. both the, so both of those are massively, massively subsidized by the federal government. I mean, if you just go on usaspending.gov and you look at Pointer Institute, understand, like, it, so you have to sort of back up and understand, like, why all this has happened. Just for the audience here, I know I've done this speech a million times but they when they discovered the power of censorship to control political discourse they went hog friggin wild with rolling it out as a as the like new and updated doctrine for soft power projection abroad that is in every country in the world they have rolled out these disinformation programs liaised to the state department and then their government cutouts like the pointer institute and the international fact checking folks in order to control elections, political and social movements, their rise and fall everywhere. I mean, I, I was playing this game at a party six months ago where I said, spin the globe and, I, and whatever country you put a finger on, I will find you the State Department program responsible for censoring that country's political movements, its response to various sorts of things like climate and its elections. No one could beat me. Tanzania, Madagascar, the most far-reaching remote places are all being organized by the National Endowment for Democracy, which is a CIA cutout, and the State Department. And then they get assist from DARPA and, from, and uh, from the National Science Foundation for funding these in order to prop up basically a 21st century version of what Voice of America and Radio Free Europe and Radio Free Asia and Radio Liberty were which was, you know, we always had this ab ability to turn up U.S. government propaganda. What this allowed the intelligence community to do is to turn down opposition propaganda 
at at a speed and, and precision and comprehensive layer that was never possible before. So when they discovered this in like 2018 and the power of AI, especially with these new NLP techniques to do this, they went insane with it. So now it's everywhere. And Pointer plays a very specific role in this, which is Pointer is a way for them to fund and beef up a government cutout that does the dirty work that the U.S. government couldn't do itself. So Pointer does all the fact checking, for example, in Tanzania and Madagascar, Eastern Europe, and the U.S. This is this is insane, Mike. I mean, they just put out a press release on June 29th that they did a uh, it says Global Fact Check Fund awards first grants to 35 organizations serving 45 countries. And who was the lead uh, funder of this, uh, you know? Uh, initial funding was Google YouTube provided a $13 million grant and uh, their main one of the main fundings says debunking disinformation and propaganda about the war in Ukraine is the plan of a Kazakhstan fact checking group. Yeah, no, this is what I'm saying. I mean, this is like it's it's every country on earth. I'm telling you, like spin the globe and I will find you the censorship industry angle from the State Department. And and the fact is, is this is the same group believes that you know populism is also a threat to democracy in the US and they use that same dictator to democracy playbook that that was confined you know at least theoretically to overseas dirty work since the 1940s after the 2016 election and transatlantically after Brexit in 2016 they they abandoned the foreign to domestic firewall there just like with Smith Munn so here are some of the organizations that just got funding just a week ago uh, MediaNet International Center for Journalism in Kazakhstan. They're focused on fact-checking misinformation about the war in Ukraine. Uh, Pravda Association Poland will be investing in new fact-checking formats, uh, such as infographics and videos, whatever. Uh, Vishvas News of India uh, plans to create a misleading data detector, which involves you know fact-checkers or whatever. West Africa's D-U-B-A-W-A, Center for Journalism, Innovation, and Development, Sierra Leone, Liberia, the Gambia, I mean, a myth detector in Georgia, the country, plans to boost the search engine optimization on its website. Uh, Minda News in the Philippines will be expanding its fact-checking staff. I mean, this is ridiculous. Well, I've been screaming about this exact thing for now, you know, over five years, just on that one specific thing. Uh, it's they really think that this is like I can't overstate this enough. Like the innovation that they saw with like Voice of America and like CIA proprietary media, they have latched on the same way to the censorship capacity because there's two ways to win politically. You know, this is just the whole George Kennan doctrine of organized political warfare, you know, that we penned in 1948, you know, and have followed you know, studiously since at the national security level, there's two ways to win. There is by saturation and persuasion. And then there's by censorship and winning by default, because anyone who opposes you can't get a platform doesn't, you know, doesn't have standing in the hearts of, you know, in the hearts and minds game. And so this is, this is, this is rolled out everywhere now. And, and especially all these, all these, companies here or organizations got about a, about $875,000 each and they're in every every country I mean even Iraq uh, Iraq uh, Taiwan uh, India Portugal Kosovo Chile B- Bolivia 
Pakistan, Nigeria. I mean, they're everywhere. You can literally start one. I mean, we could start one and go apply for a grant and get a million bucks. Not not saying I'm well, do it, but, yeah, I mean, of this course, is, but uh, you know, it's just not the, this is not for civilians. You know, you're going to need to have, you know, I mean, <laughs> the people who, I mean, the folks who run these things, you know, have security clearances. You know, they're the former uh, State Department attaches, shall we say? You know, I mean, these these people have, you, you know, they, they they pose as journalists, but you know, that's just like, I mean, when I was in the White House, it was like a running joke that you know the you know the the, the fastest way to spot a you know, <laughs> CIA focus person as if you know, they were in, you know, Reporters Without Borders or USAGM, you know, for Agency for Global Media. This is, this, is, this is the oldest trick in the book. You know, we've been doing this since the 1940s. The difference is, is now it's nastier because they've adopted a hedge fund model, as I describe it, rather than a mutual fund model. You know, previously they could only really go long. I mean, this, we were involved in censoring media stories all over the world through through the CIA in an analog fashion by, you know, everything we would do to influence editor's desks. But we can never do the scale that you can do now simply by having a liaison's contact with Google or Facebook or Twitter or Reddit or Twitch or any of these now. The, the scale now is you can now ramp up this short model, you know, whereas before we had all this government propaganda, but you can only really go long on it. You know, you can only pump up U.S. government propaganda now you can cut down anybody else's voice. You can do a hedge fund model of, of soft power influence by shorting everybody else in the market, essentially, so that you, you know, you can just bear raid any narrative that, that bothers you. And, and they've got drunk off this power. And so now it's metastasized to such an incredible, you know, capacity. And, and this is the thing I always talk about. There's these five different sort of methods of government censorship scandal you know there's government funding government pressure government coordination government outsourcing and government laundering and what this injunction does is it tackles two of them and tackles the pressure and coordination but it doesn't touch the funding it doesn't really touch you know the outsourcing and laundering and that's you know a lot of the stuff that i'll be doing in the weeks and months ahead is trying to trying to get that killed you know to to the maximum extent possible yeah, and, and again, we we know that like the form aligned influence center, which which is basically the formerly dis, the the disinformation governance board, that was funded through the NDAA, right? And so that to your point, like this is not attacking the funding apparatus. Although we did get some wins from like the funding through from the Pentagon to like the you know the various organizations like Graphica and uh, DFR Labs, things like that. So that's good. I mean, that's a positive for the money they expect. But yeah, and actually, I was just about to go through. Uh, the temporary injunction that has been awarded kind of give everybody kind of like the pros and cons about what, what what's included in this, who's included in this and all that. So uh, uh, let me get to that. But Rose, if you had something you wanted to add quickly, I think you're probably going to bring up some fact checker orgs. Well, <clears throat> I just wanted to bring up and I sent this information to Mike and name, you know, just looking into the NED connection, which is a very instant, interesting institution into itself but um and all these sub sub organizations under their header that then branch off into the all of these orgs which is the disease right that they outsource their dirty work and they create these ngos or they latch on to existing ngos for financing as well and you know in talking about the the foreign influence campaign, 
you know, a lot of that is structurally set up now through, you know, NED or USAID. And they can filter the same information back through the DOD. So, um, and the fact checker org or fact check org, which is, you know, something that I was, I've been looking at in depth, but as you dig deeper and deeper into CMOS, it's C-I-M-A, which is a, a, a surrogate of NED, that's where it's some really dirty shit is going on. And that's where I believe there's a lot of influence with the press and a lot of monies and programs that are funded and campaigns that are geared to fund articles i.e. Pulitzer, which I, I think I sent to you name, I'm not quite sure. But basically they're funding Pulitzer programs to fund journalists to focus on agenda items, to push and push and push and push into the media. And it also has an advertising program. So they get advertising dollars to push all this agenda out too. And how, you know, but they, they say, you know, protecting independent journalism, my ass. But this is all spread into Eastern Europe, Africa. I mean, it's it's everywhere. So um, I posted it in the bubble. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's like it's the boomerang back to the U.S. is like. It's all, it's all, it all boomerangs back. Exactly right. So, you know, it doesn't matter where at this point it's coming from. It's just, it's, it's in the ethos. And what's to stop, say, these organizations still working with their CIA counterparts in the Facebooks? I mean, Facebook is totally sponsoring factcheck.org along with other entities. But it's all through, you know, these different programs. So it's really, you know, I think an initiative to speak with you know, I know Mike and Name are, you know, working with Congress members on this whole disinfo campaign, but they've got to defund the, these line items in all of these structures, USAID and, you know, NED and other ones that um, have these line items or would they have to look at the budgets and find out where this, you know, where they're uh, slushing this fund out. That's all. Yeah, so I'm I'm still looking at, at Meta, and this was an article back in or you know a press release in 2022. They put out that uh, Meta is claiming that they have built the largest global fact checking network of any platform, and have contributed more than 100 million dollars to programs to support fact checking efforts since 2016. So, what we also see is uh, Meta. Google, YouTube, are one of the big funders of these uh, of all these organizations globally. Uh, I don't know why they don't bring them in house, but you know, it is what it yeah, is. Yeah, but I just that is that is completely true. Um, one thing I would caution there, though, is that that's those are basically like CSR programs, like corporate social responsibility programs. Uh, I I you know, would not necessarily assign the level of agency to Facebook in particular there that I would to some of the government agencies and even to Google. 
um, you know, face, Facebook was, you know, there was a whole campaign. Facebook did not necessarily go like lovingly and willingly, um, you know, into, into the arms of the censorship industry in the same way that Google did in the same way that a lot of these, you know, state department, defense department, intelligence agency places did. They were, they were jawboned, threatened, coerced, you know, boycotted by the NGO Plex. You know, they were, they were twisted seven ways from Sunday to where they are. And I don't think that, you know, the Zuckerberg level apparatus at Facebook is as, as closely tuned into this. I think that this is a, a product of the, the government affairs, the regulatory affairs and public policy folks at Facebook uh, that Zuck essentially delegates a lot to. And, you know, it, it is in that, that sort of, you know, win, wins, wins the day is oftentimes by default there. Uh, but I also think that Facebook would not necessarily be doing all of this if there was not the coercive pressure on Facebook day to day to do it. That is, you know, that if if the boot was taken off of Facebook's neck, I'm not convinced that they would be funding these programs. Unlike at Google, which is which has had a much longer history as you know, as as, as acting as a CIA cutout and which was much more uh, institutionally gung ho about uh, about joining up with the government from from the beginning than than Facebook was. Well, in just looking at back to, I, I think you're right, Mike. You know, that's a, I think there's two. It's two pronged, right? It's kind of like covering your ass, and then there's this, you know, the subserve the subversion. Um, just, I mean, just looking at the sponsors of the Ned SEMA program, I mean, it's it's sickening. I mean, you have all all of the players. You have. Uh, Open Society Foundation, WAN IFRA, Internews, uh, Article 19, iRights Info, and then you go to the Global Forum for Media Development, and that's a winner, and the International Association for Media and Communications Research. I mean, you know, this is a government agency, in essence, is SEMA. Yes, yes. Well, I've been obsessed with the SEMA, you know, censorship scandal here stuff since 2018. I mean, it's not just a government agency. It is a CIA cutout. You know, the National Endowment yeah, for Democracy right. was created to be a privatized version of the CIA at a time when the CIA's name was dirt because of the church committee hearings and Carter coming in and firing 30 percent of the, the CIA operations uh, division, which is the cloak and dagger division. And then Reagan comes into office after the Iran, you know, sort of hostage situation. Uh, declares a need for a sort of red-blooded, full-throated CIA again, but they couldn't didn't have the political capital to to repopulate it with all of the cloak and dagger stuff. So they formed the National Endowment for Democracy in order to have an above-board, you know, to do what used to be done in a cloak and dagger fashion through a sort of pro-democracy predicate, and then therefore and thereby sort of uh, do all this civil society capacity building through the foundations and NGOs rather than d directly, you know, having a CIA badge to do it. And SEMA is, you know, represents the sort of, you know, Project Mockingbird, you know, the, the sort of, uh, you know, media, CIA media task force operations that have gone on for, you know, since the 1940s. And when the censorship technologies started to, to develop through the, the machine learning AI techniques with, with natural language processing after the 2016 election, when all that stuff started getting gassed up on 
steroids financially, and they were able to control narratives uh, in media through that. They, they used SEMA to have these fact-checking orgs and to have these media institutions that were previously just doing pro-U.S. propaganda to start to actually uh, do like straight-up social media censorship. That is, they were the – but simply by having a fact-checking org in that region – or talking with that office at Google or Facebook, they could kill any story. They could, you know, they could they could kill any narrative. They could kill any social movement. They could kill any political movement. And so, you know, SEMA has gone from being this sort of propaganda arm of the CIA to being the censorship arm. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it's <laughs> like I said. This is like this case is a big boy, but it's not even close to what we have to like dismantle and tear down. Like it is, it is so vast. And uh, Jen, you had your hand up, and I want to read this decision here. Yeah, no, I just wanted to go off of Rose's point real quick. And I kind of want to start like a grassroots effort to pull the Pulitzers or something like that. Because, I mean, I can name one person off the top of my head, Michael Schwartz at the New York Times, who received a Pulitzer for his uh, great reporting about the Russians putting hit jobs out on um, the Americans um he literally got a pulitzer for that so that's like one person in particular who doesn't deserve that pulitzer who uses it in his bylines who uses it to you know promote himself further saying he won a pulitzer but the story was proven false uh so i i think that might be a great effort we could start as a grassroots movement to show like we're not standing for all of this that sounds fun. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Arrested, by the way, in the Philippines on but, that. But Jennifer, it's worse than that. Is that Pulitzer is driving, driving the narrative through sponsoring journalists to yeah. write these things, and it's all this, you know, climate activism and you know equity rights, everything. Yeah, it's, it's the CIA, Aspen uh, Institute, Atlantic Council well, yeah, topic yeah. of the day. Well, for yeah. sure. But I feel like this is a way to A, call them out, right? But B, go after the thing that they're using to self-promote. Yeah. Like, we can't change, like, what already happened. Like, we can't change. But you know what? They actually took money knowing that they were going to be censoring the American people beyond the constitutional rights of the government. So I think, like any effort in that direction to show that a we're paying attention b we know who you are and c like we're going to go after your pulitzer because you don't deserve it i think that that's a way to get the grassroots involved and give them a little win um going forward so it it doesn't feel so helpless and hopeless sometimes oh i totally agree but a lot i think to add on to that is to start exposing them for their grants program and the type of articles that they are requesting proposals for which i just sent you a uh, a a uh, screenshot jen to take a look at what they do and this is all through the sema programs too so it's you know it's just i think we could add on to that too it's just this is how educating people on how this is going down yep i agree all right real quick guys i'm going to get back uh, to this ruling this legendary ruling of a legendary judge on a legendary day like it was uh it was a big deal i uh I had one extra glass of whiskey last night for Judge Terry Doty. So uh, real quick, I want to <laughs> real quick, I w- I'm going to kind of give, give some background. Like, again, I, I went through basically, you know, Tracy's original reporting on this case. This is the third um, uh, part of a series that we've been doing 
on Missouri v. Biden case. It's been it's been fantastic. Uh, and we've been waiting for this uh, temporary injunction. So some good, some bad. Uh, but ultimately, it is it is a win. So I'll remind you guys real quick of who who actually started this case. And it was Eric Schmidt, right, uh, <clears throat> an attorney general in the state of Missouri. And uh, Jeff Landry, attorneys general, uh, state of Louisiana, and there's many other there's many other plaintiffs as well, like Jay Bhattacharya. There's there's a list, but I think most importantly, let's talk about the defendants for a minute. Like listen to the list of defendants here. We've got Joseph Biden, Jennifer Renee Circleback Sackey. We've got Vivek Murthy, who's a Surgeon General. We've got uh, uh, Xavier Becerra. Uh, he is the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. Dr. Anthony Fauci. Uh, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, so the NIAID, uh, CDC, Alejandro Mayorkas, which you guys know, uh, obviously, the, he's Department of Homeland Security, uh, Jen Easterly, in her official capacity of director of, of CISA, and CISA is also in here, and Nina Jankowitz. Uh, so she was uh, propped up as the head of the D- Disinformation Governance Board. Um, so she's not, Nina's not getting out of this one. She blocked me a long time ago. She didn't like what I had to say about her a long time ago. So anyway, um, so that's just a few of the plaintiffs and defendants in this case. So when I start to read this, it's going to make more sense. It's interesting though, because a lot of these people, um, so a a lot of times what happened here is that, uh, some of these people were, they were asking to substitute out, uh, like the, instead of like the highest ranking people to be deposed, they would send somebody a little bit lower arguing that they had official capacities to do they don't have time to be deposed but as long as but the judge held firm and he said okay that's fine but these people have to be intimately and directly related to this and if they're not and if they're separated then i need the per- person that's most related to this case the judge has been awesome about this we've gotten some wins out of it some losses i think but ultimately here we go so this is the judge this is the judgment uh terry doty legend uh, this came out yesterday. He said, for the reasons set forth in the memorandum ruling on the request for preliminary injunction, it is ordered, adjudged, and decreed that the plaintiff's motion for preliminary injunction is granted in part and denied in part. <clears throat> it's further ordered that the Department of Health and Human Services, the HHS, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, NIAID, and specifically the following employees of HHS uh, and NAID, Zebra Becerra, uh, Dr. Hugh Auchincloss, I'm not sure who that is, but it says that uh, it's the director of NIAID. Uh, Yolanda Bird, uh, Health and Human Services Digital Engagement Team. Christy Choi, uh, that is the Health and Human Services Office of Communications. Ashley Morse, the Health and Human uh, Human Services Director in Digital Engagement. Joshua Peck, uh, he's a Deputy Assistant du- Secretary. Deputy Digital Director of HSS Successor, who was formerly Janelle Muhammad. Uh, along with their secretaries, directors, administrators, and employees. Like, it's everybody, guys. This is insane. So they can't they can't obfuscate this order by going through somebody else within the organization. It's everybody forbidden, bar none. <clears throat> and also uh, Vivek Murthy, who is a certain general. <clears throat> excuse me. Catherine Dealey. Uh, she's the chief engagement officer for Surgeon General, along with her secretaries, directors, administrators, and employees. Um, the CDC as well, and specifically former employees Carol Crawford, who's a, a digital media branch of the CDC, Jay Dempsey, uh, Kate Galatis. It goes on and on and on. The Census Bureau <laughs> is in this as well. Uh, the FBI, obviously Elvis Chan, but he's done anyway. Uh, United States Department of Justice, so all of the DOJ. Karine Jean-Pierre, she's in this as well. Um, uh, Stuart Delery, 
House, obviously White House partnership manager, Aisha Shah. Uh, she is the special assistant to the president and many others. Uh, and uh, see if there's anybody in here. Uh, White House senior COVID uh, uh, advisor successor, who used to be Andrew Slavitt, um, and the deputy assistant to the president and, and director of digital strategy successor, formerly the Rob Flaherty, who I talked at great length about. Uh, Dori Salcido, uh, she is the White House COVID Director of Strategic Communications and Engagement. Uh, Rapid Response Team, Clark Humphrey, um, and, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, we got CISA in here, Jen Easterly, Kim Wyman. Let's see if there's any other names that pop out. Alejandro Mayorkas, um, that's Department of Homeland Security, obviously. Uh, Department of State, Alex Frisbee, that's interesting. Uh, Daniel Kimmage, Ari Hirabi, enjoined, and okay. So uh, Dan, and all these people are hereby enjoined and restrained from taking the following actions to social media companies. This is important. Yeah, Kim, did you have something quick? No, go oh, ahead. Okay. After, I can go after. So uh, number one, all these people I mentioned before, uh, meeting with social media companies for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing free speech uh, and posted on social media platforms specifically flagging content or posts on social media platforms and or forwarding such to social media companies, urging, encouraging, pressuring, inducing for any manner in removal, deletion, or suppression. Weird. I'm sorry, guys. I just got my screen popped up and my account got locked. I don't know what I'm I don't know what I'm being banned for. Oh, I don't DM'd you a thing. I just got a message uh, on the screen as well, and this is what it reads. Um, it said, hold on. Uh, it says, the error updating the settings, and then it has in parentheses the controls and, and users. It says, please try again later, but I didn't do anything. Okay, so I don't know. Sorry, guys. I didn't mean to cut off like that when I was reading. It just, my screen pop went white, and then it told me my account was locked. I'm like, oh, I got that going for me. It seems to be okay. It looks like a glitch. Um that you're talking about censorship while getting censored. Of course, of course. People do not like this. Um, so again, this is all about flagging content. Uh, it also says here, emailing, calling, sending letters, texting, engaging with social media companies of any kind for any manner um, that's containing free speech, collaborating, coordinating, partnering, switchboard. Now, this is interesting. Let me read this one verbatim. This is, you were talking about this earlier name. This is actually a really important part of this. <clears throat> collaborating, coordinating, partnering, switchboarding, which is what CISA did, and or jointly working with the Election Integrity Partnership, the Virality Project, Stanford Internet Observatory, or any like project or group for the... This is really interesting. So they named the three because they have the exhibits for it. This is part of the examples that they use for the case. But they're saying also or any like project or group for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content posted with social media companies containing protected free speech. This is what we've been talking about with the Twitter files, this is what we've been talking about all day with this. And this is part three. This is what I've been talking. I mean, hell, I've been talking about all of this for months. I mean, not as long as Mike or anybody, but this, I, I mean, I've been on this train long enough. Like, this is my number one issue on, that I deal with on Twitter. But um, <clears throat> this is really, really, I like how he worded specifically or any like project or group for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, uh, inducing, so on and so forth. Uh, threatening, pressuring, or coercing social media companies in any manner to remove, delete, suppress, reduce posted content or content of postings containing free speech, <clears throat> taking any action, doing the same thing, 
uh, reduce posted content protected by free speech clause of the First Amendment of the Constitution. Good man, good man. Uh, following up with social media companies to determine whether or not, oh, so not even allowed to follow up with social media companies on previous things, so that he's cutting off and he's going back and it's retroactive to anything they were doing before. Requesting content reports from social media companies detailing actions taken to remove, delete, suppress, reduce content, blah, blah, blah. Notifying social media companies to be on the lookout, bolos, for postings containing free speech. So this is actually in reference to, if you guys remember, the hack and leak uh, regarding the Hunter Biden laptop story, how they said that uh, be on the lookout for a, a hack and leak operation, which is the Hunter Biden laptop. It is a hacked material. So the, they try to get it filed and taken down under hacked materials policy, even though it, um, and then obviously they said it has earmarks of Russian disinformation. But that's specifically the bolos for upcoming things like maybe an election. Go ahead, name. That that would apply to the Foreign Malign Influence Center, because at the time uh, prior to Foreign Malign Influence Center opening up, the position of election uh, threat executive was Shelby Pearson yep. under Office of Director of National Intelligence. She was meeting weekly with CISA. Mm-hmm. That's that came out through Missouri v. Biden. I believe the Elvis Chan uh, deposition, he he specifically named her. Well, that election threat executive has now been swept up into Foreign Malign Influence Center. So uh, the person uh, who is the acting director of that center is Jeffrey Wickman, uh, yep. former 30 year CIA. So he would be the guy uh, meeting with CISA if they were to continue doing this warning of hack and leaks or things like you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, a name did a great thread on a great thread um, on the FMIC, but also Shelby Pearson herself. Uh, she's she's actually very good with the language she used, but she still outwardly talked about this stuff. So Shelby Pearson is definitely somebody you guys need to pay attention to as well. And now the preliminary injunction precludes said named defendants, their agents, officers, employees, contractors. And wait, let me read that one more time. This preliminary injunction precludes said named defendants, their agents, officers, employees, contractors, all acting in concert with them from the aforementioned conduct. This preliminary injunction also precludes said named defendants, their agents, officers, employees, blah, 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 from acting in concert with others who engage in said conduct. So, yeah, I mean, they're not even allowed to basically converse like what through the Global Engagement Center or, or CISA or anything else. It's like they are not to engage with each other or with the social media companies. That is interesting. Um, it is further ordered that the following actions are not prohibited by this preliminary injunction. This is very important because we're, we've heard all the, the, the kicking and screaming and the reing on the legacy media about this, but this is important to note. Uh, these are not prohibited. So number one, they can inform social media companies of postings involving criminal activity or criminal conspiracies. I think that's a good idea. I think they should be able to do that. Um, maybe, maybe they can start taking down, uh, this child porn and stuff. Just saying, just putting that out there. Go ahead, Tracy. When you're done, I want to inform on why some of this is in there. Okay, I'll just read through it real quick, and then I'll come to you, because it's only, I'm, I'm going to kind of, like, go over that real quick, and then I'll, so it's only about four parts. Let me read it to, or eight parts. Let me read it to, to them, and I want you to kind of go on that, because this is obviously your wheelhouse. So, uh, number two, contacting and or notifying social media companies of national security threats, extortion, or other threats posted on this platform. This national security threat. Ah, anyway, number three, contacting and or notifying social media companies about criminal efforts to suppress voting, to provide illegal campaign contributions or of cyber attacks against election infrastructure or foreign attempts to influence elections. Oh, God. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's going to be drive a Mack truck through that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, number four, enforcement, forming social media companies are threats that threaten the public safety or security of the United States. Number five, exercising permissible public government speech, promoting government policies or views on matter of public concern. Really? Exercising permissible. OK. Uh, informing social media companies of postings intending to mislead voters or voting requirements and procedures. If you guys remember this kid that went to jail for the means that he was basically pe- telling people that, that people could text their vote. I don't believe that he should have gone to jail at all, but Doug, doesn't it Doug? Yeah, yeah. You guys remember that. So this is they're not prohibited from talking about this. Now, what the social what social media companies do with this from there is different, but they're not enjoined to they're they're not enjoined by talking about that. Um number let's see, number six. Yeah, number seven, informing or communicating with social media companies in an effort to detect, prevent or mitigate malicious cyber activity. Number eight, communicating with social media companies about deleting, removing, suppressing, or reducing posts on social media platforms that are not protected free speech by the free speech clause. And and again, that's fine. Uh, Tracy, did you want to go on that before I go to rule uh, civil procedure 65? It's unappealable. This is unappealable? They can't appeal. Yeah, they're not going to be able to appeal this and successfully win with those provisions included because all of the concerns that are addressed in the eight are concerns the government was arguing in the hearing about why they didn't want the injunction um and and so any any court that this is taken to like the fifth circuit or above is not going to overturn the injunction and i understand the um foreign interference portion of it however the entire um like a lot of the arguments and a lot of the briefs go into detail about how they didn't make any distinction between foreign and domestic speech. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, in the middle of ongoing litigation, I, I find it very hard to believe that they're going to just brazenly communicate with the social media companies like this, knowing all of their books are open yep. the entire I agree. time. That's 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 all I want. I agree with you a thousand percent. I think a lot of people, like you said, I think it speaks to somewhere where we're at the state of the country. People believe that the government's just going to do it anyway. I am actually on. I agree with you on this, that there is no way in hell that once we're peeking up, uh, peeking underneath the hood, that they're going to do anything while we can take a look at it. I mean, like you said, their books are open. They're not going to do it. Like, holy cow, like that's jail time, right? Yes, it is. And I don't think they'll do it. And I don't think they'll do it because this judge has shown that he doesn't give it <laughs> crap. I mean, seriously, he really has. Um, so I know that that has, you know, it's given some people pause. It It's not a, as big of a concern for me as it is for other people. And, you know, people can disagree, but that's where I'm, I'm at. Yeah, with I agree with you. Um, also, just a note, like you said, it's unappealable, right? Because the, the whole the, these, these were all of their concerns about trying to get this case thrown out was a lot of these things so this judge smart and tactful as he is he was like okay well actually then you're not prohibited from talking to companies uh, com- companies about this stuff what? about criminal stuff yeah. and everything else and like you know one of the main concerns they had was that this injunction would stop government speech because the government has an inherent right to speech as well and so these provisions remove that concern <laughs> um it's just written in such a way that obviously they can appeal it but the chances of them winning on appeal are probably slim to none the way the judge wrote the order. And with the 155 pages that accompany it, because any appeals court is going to read that 
to make their decision. And if you read through that and you're an honest broker and the Fifth Circuit's pretty mm-hmm. good, you're not going to say, oh, they're not doing anything wrong. How dare they they put this injunction in place? I don't know if Mike agrees with me or not, but. Well, you know, there's a complicated balance here about trying to make it survive on appeal, uh, you know, which is basically, you know, cutting back the territory you gain uh, versus maximizing the territory you're in. Like, for example, I'm just running the simulation in my head right now with that national security exemption and everything. I'm trying to imagine, you know, uh, how, for example, what was done with the Alliance for Securing Democracy and the German Marshall Fund. Uh, you know, with the sort of Hamilton 2.0, the Hamilton 68 dashboard that was done using a national security predicate. Now, I, I know they, they have such a wide brush. That's that's the one that gives me the most pause, because they were arguing that Americans talking about banking, that the banking system and the, and the fragility of it could be a national security threat. So under their lens of what what constitutes national security, I mean, they could go anywhere and then and then you start litigating whether or not it actually is. Um, but I mean, the whole thing, the whole thing is is censoring like is my post about the election, the uh, election integrity, a real threat to national security? And then if, if who makes that decision? So. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's certainly extremely you know, useful. I mean, there's I'm not trying to take away from the victory here. Um, you know, even to have this narrows down the field of battle, you know, much more, you know, whereas the whole territory, you know, we were, you know, the insurgents and they were the incumbents. And now, you know, what this shifts the 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 strategic sort of chessboard to where we are the incumbents, you know, freedom is the incumbent, except in these specific places. But it, it certainly, you know, um, it would then force the government side to articulate and defend itself uh, to fit into an, ex- an exemption now rather than saying, well, there's nothing saying we can't do any of this. Um, and I also think that just having this uh, does have a certain chilling effect to trying to do what was done in the last election or during COVID uh, so nakedly and brazenly. And that doesn't count for nothing. Like the fact is, is this, this ruling will add friction. They, they will they will have to go deeper underground. They will have to you know hide their communications much more deviously. They will have to set up shell companies. They will have to you know get get funkier with you know with the the banks that they hold the the funds in if they're going to do sort of censorship laundering here. Like this does make it a more expensive business to be in on the on the the censorship side. But you know, like I said, I. This is one of these things where the, you know, these national security exemptions and the, you know, the election interference exemption, you know, this does sort of invite Russiagate on steroids, um, for, you know, next time in order to uh, in order to have the legal predicate to, to do it. Can I say something now? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that this definitely, you know, obviously is a, is a win for us. Um, one of the things that uh, I know I've talked about before uh, is how do we get this information into uh, digestible pieces for the masses, right? And I was thinking we really should put together like an org chart 
and just dox the hell out of these people and make their lives miserable, just like uh, Yoth Rall or uh, what is it, Yol Roth. And I mean, you know, like really just stay on it. And, and to Jen's point with the pull, the Pulitzer, like we, we are the ones, we have the court of public opinion, right? And we are the ones that have to hold them accountable by talking about them and, you know, raising awareness to the fact that these evil people have done what they've done. They've completely infringed upon our rights because, you know, people weren't paying attention. So if we give them like, you know, this is CIA Renee. And here's what she did. You know, we have a, a sheriff in the county next to us in Polk County. His name is Grady Judd. And he is big into busting human trafficking things. And he gets on television and he puts up an org chart. And he tells you all about these people, where they work, who they're married to, blah, 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 blah. And holds them accountable. And I think that it's time for us to do that. We need to make people aware, like when Name did that thing the other night with the guy, you know, who's clearly a Trump hater, and yet he's in charge of, um, uh, you know, Facebook's. Uh, I mean, I've done, I've done that with uh, Google and Facebook, and uh, when there is a uh, complaint from a big account of why their YouTube videos are getting suspended. Uh, they ought to know who's in charge of hate speech. Uh, it's a former CIA uh, operative. Um, that's just a fact. So uh, they can keep complaining about their YouTube videos get taken down or they have large platforms. They can start talking about the people doing it, right? That would draw more attention. Uh, we should talk about uh, Aaron Berman is now in charge of uh He's the head of elections policy globally at Meta. Exactly. Former exactly. CA. So, I mean, but I mean, I'm not going to go beyond that and talk about where they live or, or that sort of stuff. Well, no, but. no, not where they yeah, live. So, but we need to make people aware, really aware of everything. So, yeah, probably you guys could probably have space on that. Let me uh, get through the rest of this. Um, I don't want to talk about doxing people, to be honest with you. But um, so real quick. All right. So I want to come back to Tracy on this as well. Um I lost my train of thought. I'll just have to start reading again. And I'll come back to it. So it's further order that no security is required to be posted by plaintiffs under federal rule of civil procedure 65. It's further ordered that this preliminary injunction order shall remain in effect pending the final resolution of the case or until further orders issue from this court. The United States Courts of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit or the Supreme Court of the United States is also further ordered that the motion for preliminary injunction is denied as to the defendants, uh, the FDA, Department of Treasury, um, U.S. Election Assistance Commission. Let's look into that a little bit more. U.S. Depart Department of Commerce, which if you guys remember, they were trying to roll out the Restrict Act through the Department of Commerce. Uh, and then specifically, uh, the employees, Erica Jefferson, Michael Murray, Wally Adiamo, uh, Stephen Freed, uh, Brad Kimberly, and Kristen Moutigue, and Disinformation Governments Board and its director, Nina Jankowitz. So Nina Jankowitz is left out of this. But they've, the Disinformation Governance Board, she's no longer there anyway. It doesn't really matter. So it's fine that she's not in it. But The um, reason those people are removed is because the plaintiffs requested that they be. They didn't want them on there anymore. Cool. All right. That makes me feel a little bit better then. Um, yeah. Also, I knew what I was going to say now because I read it. So you were talking earlier, Tracy, about the Fifth Circuit. And, the, and like, people need to keep in mind, like, the Fifth Circuit's had their eye on this case. Like, they've been, like, they have, like, the panel that's, like, kind of behind it, like, you know, monitoring what the judge does and stuff get kicked up. 
Can you talk a little bit more about what the Fifth Circuit's actually been doing so far in this case uh, before Terry Doty? Sure. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, the The defendants in the case, the government filed a mandamus petition at the Fifth Circuit, um, and basically it was open, um, and they kept on adding on to it. So whenever they wanted to depose anybody, they would go to the Fifth Circuit and argue that they shouldn't be deposed and the reasons why, and the Fifth Circuit would say, okay, you know, back it down a little bit instead of deposing, you know, Jenny Easterly to depose her underling. And then if you can't get what you want from the underling, go up a level. Um, but they've even said in their decisions how concerning what they're seeing actually is. Um, and so now there's nothing pending in front of them. They closed the mandamus petition out. And so now we're just we're just waiting for the government to appeal this. The interesting thing is at the hearing, the government asked for the judge to give a seven day stay on whatever order that he um, put in, if it were, you know, obviously against um, their their interests. And the judge, as you just read, declined to put any stay on the order. It goes into effect immediately. Um, so he doesn't really care whether or not they're going to appeal. He wants it in place as the appeal goes on. So it's, it's just an interesting little, you know, portion of this. And. If you read if you read the 155 pages, which, again, I'm going to thread, you'll you'll see he's not messing around. I mean, he's not messing around. He's he also addressed in their um, their concerns like they filed a motion to dismiss based on two recent decisions at the SCOTUS that said, you know, basically arguing that the uh, plaintiffs don't have standing to even bring the case against them. Um, so that was shot down in this as well. He, he and he also uh, declined to allow it to become a class action. And the reason for that is that they couldn't, they couldn't define the class well enough. It was such a large class that there were technical issues with their, with their, um, their ask. So I, I'm, I'm curious to see if they come back around with that. Yeah. I'd, I'd be interested to see that as well. Uh, Mitch, did you have something? Yeah. Yeah. Trash. Thanks. Um, great discussion. I really appreciate Tracy and how she's kept it kept us up on this Missouri v. Biden. So many people had never heard of it. More and more people are hearing of it. And it's really, I, I think it's one of those ones that's going to uh, continue to uh, bear fruit and actually come to something decent at the end. But I did want to speak about this, all this conversation that we're starting to hear now, especially when it comes to suppression of First Amendment rights through social media. I did post something in the little purple pill down there um, about the a certain you know news outlet starting to talk about the suppression of free speech and national security info. We're just hearing so much of this quote national security info. Now that's a specific term, specific terminology. I, I'm sure, hopefully, name will be able to uh, speak a little bit more about that. But that comes from a newly uh, created division, fairly new, created division of, of the DOJ, and it's their National Security Division. Uh, John Carlin ran it back in the day when they were trying to take down Trump for Russiagate. Now, they have the ability with this National Security Division of the DOJ, which is very powerful, almost unstoppable, and unchallengeable, and also able to uh, infringe on or violate our Fourth Amendment rights, and I think that's how they got at uh, General Flynn. So, they can make any anything that they want can be national security information, which is NSI, anything. Almost, they can identify almost anything as national security information. Um, Sundance does a good job of the, the last refuge, too. Of, uh, he's got a good thread on it. But on top of this national security information 
that they can make almost anything that there's another level and that's national defense information. And it's interesting to me that suddenly this is what they're going after Trump for right now, not classified docs at Mar-a-Lago that all went away. There's nothing in the indictment about classified docs. It's national defense information that they're going after him for. And I think that is the angle because they, the DOJ, when the government classifies materials, there's many steps they have to go through. There's a whole bureaucracy of all the different classifications, the TSSCI uh, for eyes only, uh, for official use only. There's so many acronyms out there for different types of classifications. The DOJ, the National Defense Division, they can make anything they want national defense information. They don't have to go through any uh, basically any standards or review, they can just make it that. And I think this is an angle that they're going to start using. And if I'm not mistaken, this judge may have done a little cutout for that type of, uh, to the, uh, of infractions or whether or not that the government can request some uh, constriction on what people say, if it's identified as national security, but even more so national defense. And if it's a national defense violation, that's where they can get you on espionage. And I, I just don't trust them. Anything that they've had as far as identifying people and bringing the hammer down on people, they have abused that power. And this power of identifying something as national defense info, I think they will eventually end up abusing it and they'll eventually use it to crush the social media accounts. And that's my say on it. Hopefully, Name can speak on that a little bit more. Well, yeah, and I'll, I'll let him do that. But I just, just to kind of remind you, though, like I understand what you're saying, but just, just keep in mind, the only way that this actually worked, that they were able to suppress this much information, was, was because they were able to use groups like uh, EIP and Virali Project, Stanford Internet Observatory, the Glo- Global Exchange Center. Um, and they were able to do it on a mass scale. That was the only way it, was actually, it would actually even work. And so this is cutting through the right through the dead middle of this. I'm not saying censorship's not going to happen; it's gonna. But at the scale that it was doing, that would have an actual real time effect on narrative. This 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 case is cutting through it. And as I've read this, just this just this, the summary right here, not the whole 155 pages. This judge has seemed to have fortified this and understands. He actually does understand how this is all going, like what this actually means, how they're doing it and how to, how to attack it. But you're right. I, I, I think that I have concern. That's why I paused when I read things on the, uh, that they're not enjoined by. I did take some pause on it because it's like, well, we've seen where they tried to use this as a, you know, the election inter- interference stuff and the foreign actors, this kind of crap, national security threats, blah, 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 blah. But ultimately the, the industrial scale censoring, and pressure on these social media companies has been just like cut open here. So no, you're 100 percent right. He he crushed that motion. He crushed them. He stepped on them. He the way he worded his ruling, it really made a mockery of who. I think he even mocked them a little bit about who did who do they think they are? What does the government become? Um, he really crushed that. So it will have it will take some real poor behavior by the government. Uh, to in order to try to get around this. I'm just wondering if we're going to see it with this national security and national defense info. Maybe they will, maybe they won't because of this ruling was so strong. I wonder how they're going to come after him. I'm just interested in what their next step's going to be. Yeah, 
Absolutely. Uh, name, he, he had asked you a question. Did you want to follow up on that or Tracy? Uh, I don't know that I can speak uh, as uh, I, I, I think Mike or Tracy could probably answer that better than I can. In terms of what they're doing next? Uh, yeah, if you're an investor right now, um, you know, NewsGuard is going to be fundraising the ever-loving crap out of this because news, you know, these these interst these technically non-governmental interstitials, the so-called middlewares, middleware orgs are where all of the energy is going to be pouring in response to this. You know, they they are they already planned this all in late 2022 when all this pressure started that they would need to re restructure these um, you know this this whole society effort to push things deeper into the civil society space uh, after as as the government purchases were were coming under more pressure. One thing that I'd also note is that um, even though EIP has been named and shamed, you know, very um, you know very heavy handedly in this in this ruling, uh, in the you know twenty four plus months you know since I mean. It, in the in the time since they've last sort of been, you know, uh, partnered with the federal government, you it went from being, you know, probably about eight to ten universities who were involved in the censorship industry to now uh, over sixty. Uh, there, the, a lot of this has been done through, you know, DHS is works, you know, is the same group as the as the DOD. I mean, they there there is a seamless sort of interchange between the the domestic DHS folks and the foreign-facing DOD folks, because they're all part of the same diplomacy, defense, intelligence, foreign policy establishment. Everybody at DHS who's involved here is involved in the Ukraine story. They're involved in the Council on Foreign Relations, Atlanta Council Network. It's all that foreign policy group. And, and the National Science Foundation functions as basically the civilian arm of DARPA in this and the civilian arm of the DOD. And the NSF has now been pumping up like 60-plus of these universities to all play their own little EIP role uh, in subsequent elections and subsequent pandemics and some subsequent, you know, sort of social referendum issues. Uh, they, they have a whole, where, where it was a, where sort of a, a coterie of rogue cell bad actors in 2020, you now have this, fully funded censorship mercenary army that may not need to coordinate directly, you know, with DHS if they can use an interstitial with DHS officials there like the Aspen Institute or, or, you know, ISD or Atlantic council to do that. So, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be, you know, this is almost like an antibiotic that, uh, that essentially purges one form of the virus, but then the virus adapts and is in some respects, harder to kill because you've done now i'm not saying that's not a reason not to use it this is a win there's no doubt about that um but this gets us the seat at the table uh it does not win the card game yeah i agree with that sentiment 100 percent. and it's but that's the thing this is so vast and so deep as you eloquently pointed out and, and we've gone over in, in many different um aspects and threads and spaces and whatever we've done all the work that's done in capitol hill everything uh, but however, it does. It's still a battle that needs to be fought. Right. This does need to get to the public. It is now public record of what, it's on record of what was happening. But you're right. It, it, you turn the light on the roaches scatter. They're going to find different places to hide. And so it's, it's going to have to be an ever vigilant thing. And just as much funding and effort that's going into censorship should be the same amount of, 
of funding and effort going into countering and, and exposing said censorship. And hopefully people, more people will come out and speak up and, and Aaron joined us as well. And he just dropped down, but he, he was, he was a whistleblower for DHS. He probably had some thoughts on this also, but uh, no, 100%. We have to stay vigilant on that. And your work is obviously very much needed. Tracy, everybody here name. So I appreciate you guys. Kim, did you have something? Yeah, no, you guys are amazing. Uh, I just wanted to say, you know, they always talk about this threat to national security. Well, I'm pretty sure that, you know, influence peddling is a threat to national security, draining our oil reserves, um, giving arms to Ukraine, starting a war with uh, Russia. Oh, I'm sorry. And bioweapons labs. None of those are threats to our security, are they? It, it just it, it boggles my mind that they use, oh, it's maybe a threat to national security if you show me a picture of Mickey Mouse, you know, fucking a goat. Yeah, okay. Great. But all this shit that you guys are doing, that's a threat to national security. You're not doing your jobs because you should be protecting us, not fucking going after us and attacking us and all of that crap. So this threat to national security argument is total bullcrap. Yeah, I mean, it's always been used that way. It's tell us how you really. I would. Yeah, it's. I would like it if Kim could tell us how she really feels because I want to hear the uncensored. Sorry, triggered. Sorry, sorry. I wasn't quite sure how to. There was a lot of nuance there, Tracy. I wasn't sure how to pick up uh, what she was putting down, but I think I think I figured out how she feels about it. I'm not sure, but again, you guys got to remember how they got the Patriot Act in. I mean, this is this is it's the same same song and dance for years and years and years and years and years. But nevertheless, I'm hopeful. I think this is a win. This is a dub. Big fan. Looking forward to Tracy's thread. Yeah, Jen, go ahead. No, I was just going to say about Kim is like she's learning all. And I'm not I don't mean to blow you up here, Kim, but I'm going to use you as an example. Right. She's she she's one of those people who wasn't really, you know, politically involved up until this point. So she's learning about all of this for the first time. Right. So she sees it completely different than how we see it. So her reaction is very like, oh my God, like what the hell is going on here? Look, I was actually complimenting her, not, not, <laughs> that's my kind of oh, lady no, right Tracy, there. I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't, I didn't think it was you. I was just explaining it like for the room in general, because I think it's really important to hear from people like Kim who, who don't know this, like the back of their hand, right? Who didn't know all of this was happening and is finding out for the first time, like, holy shit, like I've been lied to this whole time so sorry tracy i wasn't like going after anybody in particular just using kim as an example well people should be pissed and uh it's good to uh hear that because that's how i mean i feel that way but i didn't get my account banned during covid so imagine the people that you know doctors uh people that are involved in this lawsuit i mean they had their voices taken away and uh, what were the uh, ramifications of that, uh, you know, not being able to speak about maybe the harms of vaccine or alternative treatments to COVID? I mean, there's a lot of uh, layers to this. So uh, these people that uh, these professionals or just even average people that wanted to talk uh, in groups, you know, for instance, on Facebook, if you had a private group of just, you know, you know, friends of yours through Facebook discussing uh, your your opinions on vaccine, they would Facebook would even get into those groups and shut them down. They wouldn't allow. That's it's, what that's what they did. And to it's me. ridiculous. That, and that and that's happened, that's sort so. of that's what started me getting into this. Was like you know all of a sudden for 
like ridiculous things they were in our private group and being like you know this content is misinformation and that's kind of what started me on it and then you know as i've slowly come awake and you know I'm, i'm sure there's more people out there that are like me that have now started to dig into it and again you know yes, we need to to fix our elections and and that we have that whole side of it. But the other side of it is, is that we need to embarrass the shit out of these people. Yeah. I think going forward, I think going forward, uh, the best thing we can do is expose them from the start because the information is out there. It's a matter of who finds it um, and, and exposes them uh, to what they're doing. So, uh, I'll give my normal plugs like you all should be following Mike Benz. Okay. He's finally has more followers than me, which is absurd. He should, everyone should follow Mike Benz. Okay. Like I don't really like even being put in the conversation of Tracy or Mike, because these two individuals here are doing the Lord's work. Okay. I do a little bit of my own little nerdy stuff, but these people you must follow. Okay, because this is what they do full time. Uh, And they're the one, you know, Tracy, Mike will be exposing stuff. If I find something, I'll expose it, get it to Mike, whatnot. But like, you must follow Mike Benz and and everyone, even just normal people that don't do this for a living. If you find something, get it out there and get it to one of us and we'll amplify it. That's how we can fight. Uh, these new upcoming uh, groups that spring up to uh, bulk collect misinformation and and whatnot, because they're not going to stop. So it's a, it's a war for your mind and it's a war for uh, manipulating these platforms and elections and any other uh, hot topic issues going forward. Well, and you know, the next steps is, is to get all you fabulously smart people to run for office because we get these assholes out, then we need to put two good people in there who trash. I know you joke about it, but you know, it could happen. Kimberly, you touched a great point uh, because in March 2020, when uh, I realized Facebook was censoring people for sharing the fact that turmeric is an anti-inflammatory, I decided to start medicalcensorship.org and just grab everybody that was going to speak out and throw them in one place, even if there was infighting and all of that, it's going to work out. So you're so right. And I also always encourage people to do uh, citizen journalism. I mean, it was our first amendment that was at you know risk here. So you yourself, you can actually do this and do your work and Again, you know, like name said, send it to uh, any of the people here in the panel and uh, it'll be amplified. So just also help. Yeah, yeah, I challenge anybody to like take three people and three people a week and talk to them about just one of the topics that you learn about in one of these spaces and, and just, you know, just go for it. Yeah. Maze, you joined us a while ago. Get your hand up. Go ahead and I'll get to you, James. Hi, guys. Okay, so this is um, in the same vein. I heard you guys mention the Aspen Institute, but this is, again, kind of coming from the global um, perspective and how they are merging these private-public partnerships to tackle this. So um, the information disorder syndrome and its management. This is a um, research gate. It's a, it's a peer-reviewed publication, um, and it's basically talking about what information disorder syndrome is they break it down into three different grades 
Okay. And so like, they're basically stating that the first grade is where you're basically sharing fake news on social media in your feed, even memes. And, um, that information is kind of like, uh, claiming that, uh, you know, for instance, garlic, like you just said, the turmeric thing was an example. Here's Carolina. So an example that they listed is like garlic cures COVID-19. Um, you know, so just sharing disinformation and misinformation, but you're not really the originator of it. Um, and it's basically uh, not understanding the potential consequences. So what type of management key strategies does that invalence? Targeted evidence-based messaging and community. Um, and then like when you move into the second grade, it's like someone who is sharing or develops misinformation or disinformation with the intent of making money or political influence, but not to harm people. And they're either the originators of the disinformation or have a capacity to capitalize benefits from existing misinformation. And so um, this examples are predatory conferences on the emergencies or travel and hotel recommendation and search engines and social media with false information. Anyway, so, so but here's where it starts getting worse. The management strategies are the first two that I mentioned, but also uh, psychosocial counseling. And a development, yes, hold on, my mom, you guys are, um, and then development or enforcement of regulatory mechanisms to control the disinformation. And then um, also part of grade three is share, so, so grade three shares or develops misinformation or disinformation with the intent of harming people without the intent of making money. So the anti-vaxxer movement, that's part of grade three, false cases of um, harassment and abuse, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So then, um, this also adds a development or, um, enforcement of regulatory mechanisms. So then when you go into, um, they have all these sections that explain that, and I'm just going to share links with you guys so you can go into it. So then the Aspen Institute, they, um, created, uh, this, um, this uh, contest, um, and basically, they gave away money. Hold on, let me go to the link real quick. Um, um, to uh, you know, whoever came up with the best idea on how to tackle this, so they ended up giving seventy five thousand. Atlanta Council ISD, the, like it's like the world's worst. It's like the, the heavyweight championship of like the absolute worst of the worst in the censorship industry. Sorry, I just. This is no, yeah, that's but there is this. So check this out, though. This this is actually quite surprising to me. This one is the Alteria. Um, hold on. Okay, it's Alteria. Uh, and this is basically they are agents of influence. So this is a spy themed video game that teaches students to neutralize misinformation. Um, and basically, uh, this is, this is pretty loaded. Like it, it, you know, we always talk about how they're kind of creating activists and whatnot. Um, and this is kind of just an example of that. So I think they're going to just like unleash a bunch of students, um, to go into social media platforms, like seek out this content and kind of, um, you know, uh, begin, 
I guess I mean, they don't need students. Into... They could use AI to seek out all that content. Yeah, that too. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm still, I mean, I literally just came across this as I was sitting in here listening to you guys and I was researching. Um, but it's, 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 it's quite shocking. That's scary um, as hell. Especially the psycho counseling. What the hell? Like that's, it's just, it's, I don't know. I just thought I would share it. It's We're going in the back same to thing. the mental institutes and the shock therapy maze. Here we go. Look, I'm I'm researching to see what they um what they mean exactly by that and how they plan on doing that. And I'll get back to you if I can find it quick enough. Awesome, thanks, Maze. Go ahead, James. Hey, thanks, Trash. Um, yeah, I tend to agree with you and Mike on that vein of you know this is a win, but. Um, but to that point, I haven't heard anybody else really talking about this, so that's why I'm talking about it, is that um, the most important aspect of this upcoming case to me is that it has to be firmly established that big tech, all of them, were acting as agents for the government. Because there is a prior agent uh, thing that needs to be understood. These are There are many Supreme Court decisions on this, is that essentially what it comes down to is that because social media acted as an agent for the government, they will in turn owe you your constitutional rights in perpetuity forever, which they, takes out the entire middle of the game. Okay, they, this, James, this is, the, yeah. Just to your point before you continue explaining this, the judge addresses this at length in the 155-page ruling. Yeah, I can actually read a direct quote to you on that, which which gets right to it, and it's kind of, it's kind of uh, hilarious. He, he says... Um, uh, EIP, what uh, misinformation that EIP was doing for election disinformation? CISA and the EIP were completely intertwined, and then they go. It goes through all the reasons for it, including EIP officials on email, EIP reps on on emails saying they were quote working for CISA. So saying that they were completely intertwined is you know just one. Well, and and he, I want I want him to keep talking about it because he clearly knows the Sakotas cases. Um, but I, I like the judge had made this point um, in, in through throughout a whole section of that of that companion, you know, filing with this where he talks about how the government, the government ended up working as literally the social media companies. And, and because they were so enjoined and were agents of the government that they were they were the, the main important thing here is like Mike said. They were not doing this on their own volition willingly. They were forced to do it, 100% forced to do it, thereby making James' point 100% correct. So go ahead and, and finish. I just wanted you to know that it was in there before you um, continued. Thanks, Tracy and Mike. I, I appreciate that. And that's the point, right, is that as long as when, the, when this case gets outcomed, okay, in other words, once the final order is there, Social media being uh, found to be agents of the government, and this includes everybody, Google, Facebook, uh, anybody that actually worked in coordinated as an agent for the government owes you your constitutional rights in perpetuity. It's the same thing as if I were to go to your house, dig in your sock drawer, find evidence of a crime, and take it to an FBI agent. Now, because I wasn't a prior agent, that will be uh, admissible in court. However, if I was a prior agent or a current agent, of the government, I would owe you your Fourth Amendment protections and the entire evidence would be thrown out. And anything that was established after that fact would be fruit of the poisonous tree and thrown out. So that's why this is critical because what Mike was talking about was that these guys game planned out to put in this quote middleware kind of program 
But if social media itself owes you your First Amendment protected constitutional rights, it doesn't matter. They're out of the game. They cannot play in the sandbox anymore by SCOTUS decisions. And I'm talking multiple of them, where they have found that, um, you know, they determined that agents that fell off the books, in other words, CHSs, confidential human sources, when, once they fell off the books and were no longer a paid asset, and then they came back onto the books, they were still uh, owed you your constitutional rights. So this is a very important aspect to this case because this can shut the whole game down. Well, I don't think the case, I mean, Tracy, correct me if you, if you have a different take on this, but I don't think the case goes that far. Um, you know, in, in this case, you know, th one of the things that makes the magic possible in this case is that we have a great fact pattern. The fact is, is like EIP and the CISA team out of, out of DHS were Bond villain-esque in terms of how much they monologued about their misdeeds. Like it was, you know, it was, it was almost like a Dave Chappelle sketch, you know, with like a drug dealer wearing a wire and then just like speaking into the microphone saying exactly what the First Amendment forbids you from doing. And like you know, they specifically said they were set up as a cutout. They specifically said the government wanted to do it but couldn't do it and set them up for it. They specifically identified themselves as, as government representatives. They specifically said that, they, that the government was their partner. You can imagine a case where you have the same sort of functional you know, devastation on First Amendment protected speech, but you can't, you can't prove it in court using their own words. You have to sort of go to the spirit and the effect rather than being able to have a you know, confession videos to put on a jumbotron where it's not clear that um, then you would get into a factual dispute and it would be up to any individual judge to make a fact-finding determination. So, you know, it's, it's not that sweeping, I guess, just to respond to what the person said. It leaves open the potential for something similar to happen if they are, if they are better at, at, at covering up or simply not gloating about what they're doing. It may, it may require future cases. But if it's established that big tech was an agent of the government, that's the end of the game. You may have to sue them again for, for violating somebody's rights in the future, but these are uh, strongly, firmly uh, SCOTUS decisions on how uh, uh, prior agents of the government are restricted from violating any citizen's rights. So this is what prevents, like, uh, basically the FBI hiring somebody, um, teaching them all they need to know, then, quote, firing them and then putting them out into the into the ether to go you know do their dirty work and then come back with evidence this is why this is firmly established supreme court precedent um and it's been a progression since the early 1900s there was cases in the 30s then cases in the 60s then cases in the 70s so and each case progressively restricted the agencies and the agents of the government so I get it that it may not be all encompassing today, but once that fact is established that they are agents for the government, I'm telling you, it's the end of the game legally. Right. I think the point I was trying to make, though, is that that's not that's established in this case because they were they were stupid. Uh, I'm not sure that that's going to be established if you don't have a confession note to hang to, to hold up. That's all I was saying. I think they're. I think they're. I think they're both great points, guys. I really appreciate it. Uh, Red W just joined, and I'll get to Kim. Yeah, I actually just uh, put the smoking gun right up there in the 
the nest. It's a times article. I probably talked about this before. So I apologize if I'm repeating myself to any of you guys, but the secret campaign, the secret shadow campaign that saved the 2020 election. This is the times article that was published after the 2020 election that describes some of the coordination between social media and government and uh, municipal elections and all of these different things on every level, including CTCL, Meta, Zuckerberg, Priscilla Chan. And then, of course, we have got the governors and secretary of states of all kinds of different states across the country who we actually did sue and had our case dismissed and have been sanctioned over. So uh, hopefully there'll be another lawsuit that picks up where we left off and, and hopefully with some more of this evidence and uh, the, the order from the judge and all the other discovery that's finally coming out years and years later that we could actually get some of this resolved. But yeah, I, I just wanted to share that smoke and gun right up there. It's in their own words, them describing their crime. Oh yeah. I'm very familiar with the Molly Ball article because as you know, like I, I, I'm very much conservative and, and I've been voting on the right for a little while now. And, and the, the just just the craziness about the 2020 election that came out during that time. And I just pointed to everybody. I'm like, listen, we can sit here and talk about theories. We can sit here and talk about maybes. We can talk about statistical anomalies. And I agree with you guys 100 percent. It's interesting and compelling to look at. But just read that article. Like they bragged exactly how they did it. Like it's, it's that Molly Ball article. They're, they're telling you how it was done. And then in light of the information that's come out over the last two or three years in regarding the censorship and what he, in regards to this Missouri v. Biden case, you go back and read that article. It's a great point to bring up because you can if you couldn't see it before, it's a great way that you can kind of in hindsight see it now. And you can see how it's not just COVID. It's not just election. It's not just this, that or the other, the Hunter Biden story. All of it was all part of this. And uh, it, it, but here's the thing. And I think this point needs to be made just because I'm a conservative talking about this. I don't want this for anybody, because, again, if 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 this infrastructure exists and power shifts, do they not think that it's going to be used against people on the left that are that are are begging for the censorship? It will be used against you, too. I don't want it for anybody. I want our Constitution protected. I want it. I want the Constitution protected for people that I vehemently disagree with. Like I'm, I want to disagree with you, but I want your constitutional rights to be upheld. And that's the whole point of all this. It's not a left-right issue. It just happens to be weaponized against the right right now or populist movements. But there were some people on the left that got taken down. Krasenstein brothers got taken down through the same apparatus. But I disagree with them politically on just about everything. Doesn't mean I don't want them to have the opportunity, but they were taken out on this. There's a lot of lefty accounts that got taken out in the same thing. So... Go ahead, Kim. I know. I want to see all their bad ideas. Yeah, me too. Sunlight's the best disinfectant, Tracy. Like, let me let me have a hold of them bad ideas. I'll take you to task on it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let us yeah. talk about it. Well, yeah, no, that, that article was so brazen. And it, you're right. Knowing what we know now, going back and reading that article again, it's just like, I mean, how... Ugh. Um, the one thing I wanted to ask was, was the, um, the Sunrise Zoom calls introduced in this case, or would they be relevant at all? The Sunrise Zoom calls, you're talking about like the, what Millie had exposed, the, when they were basically yeah. coordinating with yeah. like Antifa and stuff. Yeah, so, yeah. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Well, you know, so EIP was targeted in this lawsuit and specifically named and shamed and adjudicated against by the judge. And EIP, in their top 10 um, most censored narratives uh, i think like number seven on that list or something was the sunrise zoom calls so eip explicitly censored 
the Sunrise Zoom calls discourse across all platforms, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Reddit, uh, I mean, you name it, 15 different platforms. They, uh, they, they track down to purge uh, all, all discourse around the Sunrise Zoom calls. So I don't know if it was mentioned in any of the motions or, or you know, I, I didn't see it in, in what I read of the case. But, um, you know, the fact is, is EIP, which was the mechanism for, for censoring that and for, and for throttling accounts who promoted the Sunrise Zoom call uh, uh, factual awareness, um, was targeted. Seems to me like it should rear its pretty little head again. Well, the issue is, is, you know, is, are they, are they going to be able to have the heft and the coordination to do this without having a CISA type government office to do it out of, you know, the thing that they loved is that by having the government be able to barge in, it could combine the, uh, the authority, the clout, the pressure, the coercion and the, the officialdom that, you know, you, you can't simulate just by having a university department play quarterback, you know, or by having, you know, a, you know, a, 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 an arm of a single social media company. So would they be able to censor the Sunrise Zoom call narrative in, in a world where this ruling is, you know, faithfully uh, respected and enforced? I mean, I, I still think the answer is, is is eventually going to be yes after the restructuring is complete because like i said their push now is going to be into so-called middleware which is going to have the same sort of government officials involved in it but it's going to be an outside perch that will do these machine readable scripts that are then given over to the trust and safety teams to automatically downrank and they'll simply put the sunrise zoom calls in those scripts Hey, Mike, or Tracy or Mike, uh, there was a question from the from the audience here saying that wouldn't this be under the scope of the judge's temporary injunction preventing the government to develop or fund these sorts of activities? I don't think so. Would it, would it what be? So basically, well, it's saying wouldn't this be under the scope of the judge's temporary injunction? What, what, what this question they're asking is, does, does this prevent the government under this injunction to develop or fund uh, these activities are, let's say, like these groups. Like, are they enjoined? Yes. Are they enjoined from forming new ones? Um, well, I think they can form new ones, but they can't do anything with them. It's very clear. Read that um, point, Trash, one more time. Yeah, the, the, I, I, know which, I know which one you're talking about because I pointed it out. I read it twice. Um, I, will, I yeah. will pull that up here. God, it, give me one second. Um, was it? Wait, funding? That was a question. This touches funding. Well, no, the, the uh, I yeah. don't think. So. I mean, that would be. I I mean, I would love that. Nothing more for, than that for that to be the case. But I can't imagine that. I thought this was about a. This was about essentially collusion, coordination, and pressure. I didn't think this touched the funding side. Tracy, am I wrong about that? Well, it does say partnering. Um, so. Yeah, so it says collaborating, coordinating, partnering, or switchboarding, and or jointly working with EIP, Virality Project, Stanford Internet Observatory, or any like project or group for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content posted with social media companies. So, yeah, yeah, they can form all the groups they want, um, but this is enjoining any future partnership or company as well, not just the current. 
Yeah, but like, for example, you got $40 million of National Science Foundation funded censorship mercenary orgs at the university level, just like including the Stanford Air Observatory and, and Washington University. This isn't going to claw back that funding for, for, you know, this is this isn't a $40 million, you know, clawback. Um, uh, you know, like, I, I mean, it would be great if, if it was, but I don't I don't I think this is just about contact with social media companies and and the partnering that is adjacent to that contact i I don't think this is actually it'd be great if it did touch the funding because that would close a huge laundering loophole for this um but unless i'm unless i'm wrong uh uh, my understanding is it does yeah i don't see anything in here about explicitly talking about the funding but uh, there would be it would be pointless to fund something if they're enjoined from even participating with the social media companies to begin with, unless they were doing it through. I mean, I don't even, I can't even. No, yeah. but, no but that's not true because, because the civil society acts as the bridge. And so what they'll do is they'll say, we're just not going to close the loop. You, we, you, instead of having, you know, what they had with EIP is they had the loop, right? They had, they had DHS working with EIP, EIP then worked with the tech platforms. And, so, uh, and, here and that was explicit and that was up front and that was part of the coordination agreement you could you could uh, with the national science foundation and dhs doesn't really provide the money they have a little bit of money in the cp3 program um you know which is basically misused grants for extremism that end up just targeting populists you know on political grounds but most of the money comes from places like the state department and the national science foundation and darpa and i don't think that and that's what actually you know, powers these groups to do what they do financially. They don't even need to, you know, turn a profit necessarily because their their customer is the government for the in these the form of these grants and contracts. And so you could see a situation where the National Science Foundation simply argues, well, look, we're not coordinating with social media companies. We're only we're just giving a million dollars to the University of Michigan to study to study misinformation i think that's one of the laundering techniques that they'll use to try to evade this yeah it's a good point it's just at, at what level of effectiveness could they be because they're not gonna be able to do it on this industrial scale like they were so it's gonna it's gonna be there but how effective could that be like i guess because they had to in order for them to like you know like the global engagement center then it then it uh, filtered down to CISA. CISA was a switchboard to the various different uh you know social media platforms how are they going to build out that type of apparatus um, th- that they could actually make that bridge? It's like I'm not, I'm not, I'm not convinced. I mean, this injunction seems pretty clear on that. I'm not sure. Well, I- Mike got a phone call. That I was just saying that um, you know, it, it, look, I, I'm I'm not trying to. Douse cold water. On oh no! This is a major victory. I'm like hugely overjoyed. All I'm saying is, is like, you can never underestimate these people. Oh no! Like you can just never un- like what they will like. Uh, this is what I'm saying. Like, watch out for these newsguard type groups. They are going to they they could triple or quadruple in size and clout and power in response to this because th- you will simply have government effort move towards propping up these interstitials. And they and these coordinating bodies will grow in size to, to to approximate what previously happened at a government department. I mean, the, the, this this is like political life or death for these people. 
They are deathly afraid of a free and fair election. They are deathly afraid of a free and fair social referendum, you know, in, in Brexit type events. Uh, they, you know, they're they're fighting for their for their political lives, for their legitimacy, for their for their financial futures. Like they they need these weapons, and there's lots of ways that there's there's lots of different cards they have to play in the deck in response to this. Um, and and I, you know. It's, I, I would not consider any of that to be impossible. There is no way that any judge um, anywhere could have written an order that would do everything that you're saying, Mike, because some of it hasn't even happened yet. So we're in a, we're in a place where we're, we're scheming out like, oh, they're, you know, they're going to do this, they're going to do that, they're going to do this. What we're talking about here is really so much bigger than in a court case about free speech. Um, and, and, you know, even if this judge wanted to write a preliminary injunction to stop them from any potential thoughts they may have in their brain, there's no mechanism for him to do that. So he, I mean, what I think we're looking at here is the best we could have hoped for at all in any case about this topic. Um, and, and sure, I mean, you know, the government could go and break the law and, and ignore the constitution all they want, but until, there's never been any way to hold them accountable before, and at least we're sitting at a place where there's a vehicle for that. Yeah, and I agree. Yeah, no disagreement for me. Again, I'm not trying to douse cold water at all. I just when I when I hear definitive statements about you know like game over type stuff, it's like, well, no, no, no. This is a huge is a huge win that that we need to build on. You know, and uh, again, I'm I'm not. I totally agree with what you're saying there, Tracy. Uh, I didn't mean to you know, to say it in the vein of like the judge should have done more. I think this was absolutely heroic. And as I agree, this is like the best that could be done there. I'm just also, you know, anticipating what will happen six months from now and trying to tailor my responses to that. And I'm sure you're right. And that's the saddest part about it. And, you know, you've been very clear, Mike, I wasn't calling you out at all. Like you've been very clear. This is a, this is a good thing and what you feel about it. And I, I get you, you live in this space. This is what you do. So you see it all. I mean, you can see what's coming around the corner, what's coming or what could potentially come around the corner. Um, but that's such a, that's such a, a, a bigger animal because it's just blatant lawlessness at that point. Um, so it, it's, and it has been, but that would be, I think what we're describing here would be even even worse and, and all why because they're not changing hearts and minds clearly they're losing so that's why what i was trying to say earlier too like yes this is a w okay uh but let's not keep our eye don't take our eye off the ball here uh there's more work to do to be done uh and the biggest thing the most important thing we can do is expose uh these new groups as they pop up or Anything else going on, if they're, they find a loophole to get around the ruling, anything that comes up, like we have to uh, make that known immediately so they're not to try to um, prohibit them from being successful in the mission that they're, um, like, say, we have the 2024 election coming up, okay? So it's very important to expose any new group or effort that's uh, working on, um, like, let's just say a Hamilton 68 type, you know, uh, project, okay? Because, you know, this lawsuit, it's, it's good, it's great, but 
they're dealing with things in the past um, and now trying to prevent uh, them from doing it again in the future. We don't want them to be successful in uh, another, say, COVID-19 censorship effort and then just have to deal with that three years after the fact uh, because they've already won, right? So it's important. I think I'm articulating that uh, right. Just it's important to expose them now before they're successful in another censorship, a big censorship campaign. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I agree with Mike. The- and I and I agree with Mike's in your sentiments in that um, head on the swivel. Right here's the here's the most beautiful thing, guys. This was just an expedited discovery on a motion to temporarily enjoin. Like this is only a piece of where this case goes. This is going to be going for some time. And uh, I wish I had the 155 page in front of me because one of the things that the judge says is that it is obvious to me uh, that it stands on its merits of, of, you know, the first amendment. Uh, But that this whole case is going to be a lot bigger. These, These were just examples and people that they brought in. They could get government records from that they could make this quick point to get the temporary injunction. The case is still going to be ongoing. It's going to be ongoing for some time. Um, so as the stuff pops up, um, as this thing's going, it's going to be infinitely more important to be paying attention to this, seeing where they shift to, paying attention to these universities, finding out where they've, they've shifted some Band-Aid money to, what's Aspen Institute up to, what are they now coordinating with? Are they still coordinating with CISA? What are they going to do? I mean, Aspen, Aspen Institute's still working. The Atlanta Council's still doing their thing, and they're still doing this globally. This is just the United States. Uh, so there's a lot that's going to be coming out in this case, and, and I'm, I'm here for it. But like, like Mike said, and like Name said, you know, head on a swivel. Like, this is not over. This is just the start. And another important thing, too, is, um, uh, Mike, you've seen it. We've all seen this. These same names keep popping up. Okay, You had Alex Stamos working at uh, Facebook, and then he goes to Stanford. Uh, Chris Krebs at CISA. Now he's uh, running some business with Stamos. These people keep moving around. So it is also very important to follow these people around and see where they land, because this is pretty much their uh this is what they do for a living and they're going to keep popping up at different organizations and uh i mean i'll i'll stay on top of it to to the extent i can uh, and i know mike will but um we have to just make noise about it and it is good that like a jordan peterson today says okay his youtube video was suspended uh and that needs to keep happening uh and you know just we have to make noise whatever anyone sees get it to people and amplify it and unfortunately twitter's uh one way to do it and mike i see you're you're popping up and giving uh, interviews on various uh programs that's very important too so uh and then beyond that uh people that have uh sort of a communication uh with congressional uh staff uh, use that as well. So beyond that, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and keep in mind, uh, this is just ramping back up. I got to talk to your name offline about a couple things going on with that too. So we're not on the space, but, uh, yeah, really interesting stuff. Uh, just real quick reset for the room. Probably gonna wind this down shortly. It's been going on for two and a half hours and we pretty much covered it, but, uh, down in the chat, uh, there is Tracy's original reporting on the entire Missouri v. Biden case prior to the injunction. 
uh, decision. Then there's also the order that came through uh, that we I kind of reviewed with you guys or read with. And the links are all there. Um, Andrew uh, Andrew Bailey, AG Andrew Bailey, who's been on top of this, uh, put together a cool little thread. If you guys want to do a quick quick catch up, um, it's he put together a nice little thread that's down in the chat as well. Um, obviously, this has been recorded. You can go back and listen to it. The full memorandum ruling is down there as well, down in the links. And obviously, follow everybody on stage. But I want to get some final thoughts from folks before I wind this down. Carolina, Jen, anybody up here want to give some final thoughts? Well, that's been a fantastic space. Mike, thank you so much for coming. And Tracy was here. And so I really appreciate everybody that's been here. This has been a, this is what I wanted to do. This was part three. We, this is, this is it. So any final thoughts, anyone? Um, I sent you via DM and I also texted you the oral arguments, the transcript and the voice recording. Oh, you're amazing. Thank you so much, Carolina. I'll put it down in the, uh, I'll grab it out of my text and put it down there. Yeah, I mean, I'll lead off a fin the final, my sort of final thoughts here, which are that sort of my intro thoughts, which is that, you know, the, every every so often there's a day that happens that just changes the strategic calculus. You can't really bank on it. You can't even necessarily really hope for it, but you just kind of, uh, you know, it's out there and it might happen. And like Elon Musk buying Twitter was one of those days. What happened yesterday is one of those days. You know, this is this is something that can be, you know, that is a fact on the ground that is now established that puts freedom in the incumbent space with respect to certain territory that was disputed. You know, the the thing to, you know, th there's there, there's there are a couple of those loopholes that are that ha you have that uncertainty. And like I said, they were already in the process of restructuring to go deeper into civil society, which is the universities, the NGOs, the nonprofits, the foundations and the various community and activist groups. Uh, to to offload from the government, you know what CISA used to do, what GEC used to do, you know what what some of the DARPA and USAID and NED funded groups used to do. Although they'll still be that until the funding's cut out. Like that that is where the you know the 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 a lot of this is going to move strategically. But that being said, that is a big win. Um, you know that that we should we should celebrate and um, and build momentum off of. It really was a big win, and it came on the Fourth of July. Like that's not missed by me. I'm Terry Doty. We, I just, I believe that the man was like, you know what? I'm standing up for for our constitution and our country. Like, let's go. Like, I believe that he released it on that day on purpose, and what a gift it was. And again, I'm with you. I'm ever vigilant, head on a swivel. I, I'm not stopping with this stuff. This is this is my wheelhouse. This is what I pay attention to. This is what I, I'm constantly uh, digging deep into. So I'm not going to stop. But yeah, uh, that, that's great. I agree with you, Mike, 100 percent. Aaron, you joined us in James. Hey, just to reiterate, because I agree with you guys, we're not stopping. So um, uh, once Biden came in, like basically all of DHS, a lot of very senior officials, not just SESs, but like very key, you know, shakers and movers, if you will, that are like GS 15s and 14s. They all came back. And they were gone during those four years of Trump was in. So that deep state apparatus very, very much alive and well within DHS. But that's going to be throughout DOJ and the rest of the IC as well. So keeping it short, I'm on the road. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it, Aaron. Thank you, man. I do. That, that meant to be 100, not a laugh, but whatever. Uh, yeah, everybody follow everybody up on stage here. Aaron obviously called out the DHS. He's a DHS whistleblower. Uh, typically, uh, Aaron has a lot to say that uh, he's like, hey, guys, you guys are getting a little excited here. Let's watch out. You know, but uh, it's good to hear that you're a little excited about this. So far, the injunction, like I said, this is just just a small win on a big battle. But I appreciate you, Aaron. Uh, James, go ahead. And a, a win is a win. 
I'll take it. Dubs all day. I'll take them. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I just want to make this point because I think Mike brought it up earlier, and I think it's very important to understand. Every single Supreme Court case that has been issued, uh, the government determines what is national security matters, period. Every single time someone has tried to challenge that, it has failed. Uh, the courts are very clear about the government determines what is national security information. So this is this is a uh, an area they could shoehorn a lot of censorship. So we do need to be vigilant and understand that, uh, especially when it comes to elections. I agree with you, James. Uh, Ocean, go ahead, and then I'll get some uh, final thoughts from everybody, and we'll close down. Um, yeah, just uh, I wanted to ask Mike this question, just in relation to elections again. Is anybody working on um, elections that could be end-to-end verifiable? Um, I've seen a few things out there, but wondering if anything is kind of going on that front. Sorry, the connection was a little choppy there. You said anyone working on election, and then I think I lost you. I don't know if the anybody elections that are end-to-end verifiable. Oh gosh, you mean like of the actual like technical level on you know voting records and things like that? I would. There's a lot of election sort of procedural specialists here that I would defer to. My focus is mostly on these sort of uh, internet freedom and uh, national security sides. All right, thank you. Appreciate you, uh, Carolina, Jen. Anybody final thoughts before I close down? Again, really appreciate everybody being here. Thank you guys so much. This is this has been exactly what I wanted to do here today. So. Yeah, I just want to thank Mike and uh, Name and Tracy and everybody for being here um, and taking the time to expose all this and letting, you know, everybody know what was happening to us. Without your guys' hard work, a lot of this would have never been exposed. So thank you all so much for being here and thanks everybody for listening. I concur, Doctor. Anybody else? Carolina, anybody else? Final thoughts and then... uh... Go ahead, name. Mike, uh, what are you working on right now? He just bounced. Bring us up to speed. Like, what's your next? Oh, he did? All right. Well, I guess go check out his website. His his reports are, I mean, it takes like days to read them, but that guy puts in a ton of work researching all this stuff. He's amazing. Hey, name. Yeah, he's what, awesome. If you, had to, if you had to give me some, like, uh, ugly traits about CIA Renee or like a little bit of her pedigree as far as all the devious things she's done. Oh, Lord. Give me just a few quick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, pick, pick some of your favorites. Kim, that's going to take another two hours. Trash, space. probably. Yeah, and it's going to take another two hours. Space, <laughs> Kim. Well, DM, 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 if it take two hours, we're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, DM me uh, a couple of... We've got uh, a couple other good spaces coming up. Uh, if you guys follow Phenom, she's going to have... Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy on her space. It looks like at eight o'clock Eastern tonight. So that should be a good one. Just shoot me a DM with a couple of trades names. Uh, yeah. Uh, you want me to do the? You want me to do the comprehensive notes? <laughs> oh, like the like the recap? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Please do. I missed part of it. Here's here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do before you do the recap. Here's what I'll do. Um, there is, I know that Michael Schellenberger back in April, um, found a video, uh, at the cybersecurity summit. And I believe this was Renee DeResta and it's about two minutes and 59 seconds. And she, this is kind of the recommendations, uh, this video, this is her talking. So I'll play that if you want. 
Yeah. And then I'll link it. But yeah, here we go. Let me check my volume because I was not prepared to play in them today. So bear with me. Okay. Our joint objective is to mitigate the impact of harmful misinformation, particularly that which is aimed at weakening our national security through efforts aimed at delegitimizing our institutions, including democratic elections. That is amazing. She just said we need to focus on That's Michael stopping speech that delegitimizes institutions. You kind of go, well, okay, that seems fair. We want to, you know, we don't want to like have people out there overthrowing the government. But I mean, you define it like that. That's like basically censoring anybody who says we should, you know, we need a different president. Uh, we should uh, abolish the Department of Energy. The Pentagon are warmongers, you know, abolish the police. All of those things can be perceived as pretty easily and defined pretty easily as delegitimizing of institutions. So she wants to censor that. That's where the focus needs to be. The other creepy thing of what she just said is that it has to be national security. Our focus should be on national security. Okay, so we're going to censor for national security, pandemic-related vaccine hesitancy, and delegitimizing institutions. At that point, it's like, what's left? Like, what haven't you created a predicate to censor for at that point? This type of partnership is not a fact-checking endeavor to debunk misinformation more generally. Our work must always remain focused narrowly on matters of national security that explicitly undercut American institutions. Well, that might include NATO. That might include the Pentagon. For instance, for EIP, we focused on content intended to suppress voting, reduce participation, confuse voters as to the election process, or delegitimize election results without evidence. Like in every case, you can think of an example of legitimate free speech. Like I might say, like she says, suppress voting. Well, maybe I say, hey, there's no point in voting. You know, um, uh, the system is rigged. You don't have a good candidate. Don't vote. Why can't I say that? Vote, yeah, vote third party. Don't vote for a Democrat or Republican. You know, um, do a write-in candidate. Oh, you've disrupted the you've just delegitimized institutions. Just wrote you wrote in Ronald McDonald. How dare you say that you should write in Ronald McDonald? I mean, this is this is insane. And that targeted narrow scoping is critical to the success of a partnership. So that's Orwellian. She just she just just find this huge area that they can censor on elections, pandemic, vaccines, delegitimized institutions, and then she goes that narrow targeting. That's not narrow. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's everything. Creation of a center of excellence within the federal government, for example, could tie in a federal lead. There it is. That's Rene DiResta surfacing, as far as I know, the first time publicly, the creation of a disinformation governance board, which the Department of Homeland Security, which this agency is a part of, ended up introducing in the spring of 2022. And it was, everybody immediately saw it as a terrifying, un-American. Yeah. So that's just a little piece of who CIA Renee is. Uh, she's at the center of all of this. Um, if you go back to all the Twitter files, you can go back to a lot of things. But uh, she she is basically there to say anything that's possible that can be delegitimize our institutions should be censored. And that's everything. That's the whole point that Michael Schellenberger was making there. He said, well, that's, that's not narrow at all. That's very broad. Like, that's the whole point. That's who CIA Renee is. And she has these videos. These videos of her recordings out here are everywhere. Um, she's out there. I mean, hell, like she was uh, She was at Stanford. She was, so like, okay, so she was, uh, throughout 2021, she was, her uh, CIA Renee's uh, 
the Stanford Internet Observatory. They had worked hard to detect, to disrupt mis and dis and malinformation regarding the COVID-19 vaccines in real time as part of her work leading the Virality Project, a multi-year effort between the Stanford Internet Observatory and five other research groups. Their collaboration culminated in a new report. Do you guys remember this? Memes, magnets, and microchips, narrative dynamics around COVID-19 vaccines. That's, that's CIA Renee, guys. That's what that, that her work did to produce that. Uh, it came out in the Twitter files quite a bit. She's coming up here now in this case. Um, you guys remember the Hamilton 68? So the, the Jonathan Morgan and all of them uh, created Hamilton 68 and the direct, the company's director of research, so the CIA Renee, wrote the Senate report on, on, on Russian bots, right? So like that's who Renee is, guys. If that helps, Kim. The funniest part about this trash is, you know, historically the CIA operates in the dark, in secret, right? But the the ironic part about all this is how they, or these groups, have gone so aggressively to censor social media, yet they are out in the open talking about what they're doing, and so many of them are former CIA. It's yeah, they got cocky. So we literally find these videos on YouTube of them saying this stuff. It's it's hilarious. Yep. Matter of fact, um, I was going to close on this space, but I I guess now that we're doing this name, uh, maybe um, I I got like what uh, about an hour and fifteen minutes or or so before I leave the office. I tell you what. While I actually go back, because we brought up Shelby Pearson earlier. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up some more uh, threads and stuff, some video. And I'm going to go deeper into this a little bit than just the Missouri v. Biden case. We're going to kind of talk about who's what and where at what specific offices, what they're responsible for. We'll go into that a little bit. I got some content named in a great thread. A lot of uh, audio, video content there so I can kind of help bring my point to a to a finer point. Well, there's definitely one thing I want to play. Uh, let me get it loaded up. Okay, so and you move on to but, the, yeah, to the yeah. new topic. Uh, let me do the recap. Yeah, so Carolina, I was coming to you next. I said while I pull this up, if Carolina, there's a lot of people asking for like a quick three minute recap. So Jen, did you have something to add before I get to the recap? Yeah. Do you want me to change the name of the space or just leave it? I'm gonna leave it because I want the recording to say that. And I just have sixty seconds. And it still has industrial government censorship on there, so that's good. Uh, yeah, Carolina's going to go up. So before Carolina, go ahead, 60 seconds. Ocean, go ahead. So um, I was at Meta, um, right by LF about a month ago. And um, I, I see a lot of people saying, oh, this is just deep state, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not, I, you know, they've... I, don't, I think that was an accident. Sorry, I, sorry. I hit my phone screen by accident. Sorry, guys. All right, Ocean, start over. You're muted, by the way. Yeah, I know, because it wouldn't let me unmute. Um, So I left about a month ago, and um, when I left, they had gutted entire product lines, and um, the only department, so like 20,000 people were laid off, nothing, they weren't hiring for anything, except one department, generative AI. So, um, you know, that could be used for a lot of things, but the fact that they're releasing threads and all this stuff, they're... This is not something that's just, you know, phony baloney. Uh, like uh, people keep saying deep state. I'm like, 
how could she possibly think that when we've had what Snowden did and the elections, suppression. Um, so yeah, just want to see that. Nope, that's a great point. Uh, matter of fact, we were kind of talking about that a little bit. Uh, name was talk. We were talking about Aaron Berman uh, over at Meta. So uh, yeah, this topic has come up quite a bit, and uh, it is an interesting place. Okay, Carolina, give us the recap. Before I give the recap, Austin, I have a lot of peanuts and beer, just so you know. Um, okay, and he probably knows what I'm talking about. So just give me the thumbs up if you uh, accept the challenge. Yay. Okay. Um, so everybody knows that the Twitter files were released, revealing new information related to the Missouri and Biden case, which exposed the government collusion with social media companies. Uh, the lawsuit is considered one of the most important civil liberty cases in American history. And the discoveries made uh, in this case are more shocking because it reveals uh, a lot of information. This is something that was uh, put out by Matt Taibbi. The evidence of the government collusion with social media companies has been meticulously documented in each filings. Uh, we read all of uh, Tracy's work and Mike's works and a lot of people's work. So the government's attempt to avoid accountability uh, has been uh, re rebuffed so far. A brief uh, was filed in the case last week detailing, well, not the last week, I forgot what week it was. But anyway, so the judge ordered for expedited positions of 10 high-ranking government officials uh, granting expedited discovery in the positions uh, which are rare. Uh, you know, at the in the Biden administration has been filing motions to dismiss in various courts, but they have been consistently rebuked. Uh, I like the judge, by the way. Uh, the latest motion was filed in the Fifth Circuit, where Biden administration sought to overturn the order for the position of uh, deputy assistant of the president, Rob Flatter. Am I saying the last name right? Flatterly, whatever. Uh, Flaherty. Yeah. Flaherty. Flaherty. CISA director, uh, Jen Easterly, and Surgeon General Isavivek Murthy. Uh, the Fifth Circuit sent motion back to judge asking for uh, asking him to reconsider whether uh, lower level officials could be uh, deposed instead of if or, or if more written discoveries could be conducted. Missouri and Louisiana filed a response to the judge question, arguing that uh, exceptional circumstances exist that make it necessary to depose the high ranking officials mentioned. Uh, the filing discussed the uh, the unique role of each in, uh, official and highlight the importance of their testimonies revealing the truth. It emphasizes Vivek's Murthy as uh, who is the only person who can provide the necessary answers to the questions, and the judge had already uh, found these circumstances. The filing also addressed Jen Psaki, uh, stating that the Biden administration has refused to reveal the identity of other officials who post uh, the sought-after information, while also arguing that Psaki should not have to testify. The plaintiffs argues uh, against Biden's administration request to pause discovery in the case, highlighting a harm caused by the delays of uh, of suffocation. I don't know how to say that. The filing goes into more details during the argument phase, uh, specifically discuss, and I'm almost done, uh, the case for Robert uh, Flatterly, uh, deputy assistant of the president. So the plaintiffs explains why the they have obtained in uh, any written discovery from him and refute uh, the defendant arguments made in the appeal court. Uh, he His meetings with social media companies are highlighted also there, uh, where they were pressured to censor speech about COVID-19. They discussed the removal policies and misinformation. Uh, his meetings were with uh, Twitter, Google, YouTube, um, they're also mentioned there, uh, showing involvement in pressuring these platforms and discussing partnership with the White House. And then the same individual was the only person present at all the meetings and no other social media representative or lower level staffer has been identified who could provide information about all of them. And there's a lot more, but I just, I know you gave me three minutes. Yeah. And then we talked about, and then just to finish, that was a great recap, by the way. 
Uh, and all that information is, guys, full detail down in the chat. It's all there. Uh, Tracy Beans was here earlier. Uh, she's done extensive reporting on this Missouri v. Biden. This is part three of the series that we've done. Uh, it's been about a month since we revisited it because we didn't really have much to revisit until we had the injunction announced yesterday. So that's kind of where we uh, kind of finished off where we're talking about the temporary injunction and what whom is enjoined and for what reason. It's all down there as well. So the entire full report, which is 155 pages from the judges down there, as well as the summary is down there also. And you guys can take a look at all of that. But all of it is down in the chat. It should be up in the nest. Uh, so, no, that was a great that was a great uh, recap. Sorry, there's a car passing by. Uh, yeah, so I don't see something in the nest uh, trash. I don't see the the summary, and I don't see the other ones on on your things. If you want to pin it again, yeah. Um, it's okay. So if you go down to the chat, I actually threaded it, so everything is right there. It's all threaded right there. Uh, name, did you guys something you wanted to play? You want to talk about what you're about to play? No, I'm good. For no, now. you said you have something to play and we have to go two more hours. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, I, the only thing I wanted to do is this, when you talked about Shelby Pearson, just to give uh, the listeners the mindset of these people, uh, one little clip I found of her that I thought was the most disturbing so Shelby Pearson worked at the Office of Director of National Intelligence. She was personally meeting weekly with CISA ahead of the 2020 election. Uh, she was one of the uh, people named in Missouri v. Biden as, I think, a handful of people that specifically warned social media firms of the hack and leak, uh, a potential hack and leak on Hunter Biden. Um, so, so the background of that. But this is... This is what they, here, just listen. She was asked by a reporter a question, and I'll play it. Know that Americans are spreading misinformation. Sometimes they're doing it deliberately. Sometimes they're not at all doing it deliberately. It can be a post on social media that we don't know is fake. Is that a bigger threat to the election than foreign interference? Well, I think there's two aspects of that. You know, let's be very clear that, of course, the federal government encourages and wants as broad and free speech as possible. That is a principle of our country, and it's probably one of the most valuable cornerstones of our society. So we want people to engage in public exchange, political exchange, and to have that freedom unfettered from foreign interference. But at the same time, I think we also want to make sure that if we or the firms involved are aware that this information is foreign-sponsored and is covert in terms of its sponsorship to the user, we want to do everything we can to manage that information. We know. So the point there is the way from the government's point of view, that that's a government that was one of the top officials uh, dealing with elections uh, with CISA and social media uh, ahead of the 2020 election. And that person is now that position she had is now inside of the foreign line influence center. So that's their mindset. OK, and they the risk is anything negative against their camp or their, you know, say Biden or their the person that they want in office, uh, let's just say the Hunter Biden laptop, 
they can decide what they want to label as foreign sponsored and go to social media and have it censored. Now, the recent ruling that we're all talking about, what the space is about, sounds like prohibits that. But uh, am I wrong, Trash, that they left open one avenue that if it's a threat to national security, it's okay? They did, uh, but that's, and you know, so, yeah. So, I mean, that, that sort of leaves things open-ended because the Office of Director of National Intelligence, for those that aren't aware, they oversee all the intelligence community branches, CIA, FBI, DHS. I, I don't know how many there are, 15, 20. Um, they can, I mean... I, <laughs> They can write up whatever they want and say it's, you know, foreign sponsored. Okay, that's just the way it is Um, now. And I'll give you another example. Averill Haynes, who is the current uh, director of national intelligence, uh, when Biden took office, they put out their unclassified report on uh, foreign interference in the election. And in that there was one paragraph where they blamed Russia for the following, amplifying uh, conspiracies around COVID-19. They blamed Russia for that. They also blamed Russia for amplifying conspiracy theories about government trying to uh, censor social media. So what we're talking about here today, right now, the Office of Director of National Intelligence accused Russia that what we're talking about is disinformation, that it's a conspiracy that government tried to censor people. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about that. I've actually got Shelby. I've got your Shelby Pearson thread uh, pulled up here. Uh, let's let's listen to what Shelby has to say about that. We have released a few statements about uh, what the Russians um, are doing today. I think, uh, these tactics are familiar to, uh, uh, many folks, which include, um, potential leaks of information and, and specific leaking of information that fits a narrative, um, that suits their national interests, whether that's denigrating vice president Biden and, or, uh, boosting president Trump. Um, I think you've also seen even recent press reports, for example, of, on social media and proliferating again those divisive narratives surrounding a spectrum of political issues in the United States. Um, Russia is also using its overt media, uh, which has certainly raised um, its profile over the past several years to promote uh, narratives that are again in their national interest and also um, uh, sponsoring proxy websites. I think you're familiar with uh, the Peace Data Takedown where we had websites that are again Um, mimicking, I'd say, legitimate web presence and proliferating information, albeit sponsored uh, by the Russians. And then, as I mentioned a minute ago, uh, using unwitting U.S. persons to boost the credibility of information as it's disseminated, as it might not have the the sort of clunkiness if it was uh, coming from Russia directly. (laughs) Everything she said was a lie. Everything. All All of it. And just like, you, just like you've got here in this thread, uh, Jen, I, Jen, I think Jen has to go. I'll probably make you a co-host name while we finish this up. 
Um, but uh, thank you for co-hosting with me today, Jen. Appreciate you. But Thanks, you Trash. Appreciate you guys. Have a good afternoon. And uh, yeah, and if you look at the, so I put this thread down in the chat. It's I, like I said, I, everything that I've gone over personally on this space myself, um, I threaded down below, just kind of keep track of it. So it's all down there if you guys want it. Um, it leads up, the, the, the original post is the mega thread by Tracy. And then I added in the, the temporary injunction order that Tracy posted, plus the links to full, the full deal. Uh, Attorney General Andrew Bailey also put together an excellent little thread at today, about four hours ago after the injunction came out, the full ruling on that inju temporary injunction. And now we are going over uh, names thread here on disinfogate part three, Shelby Pearson, who is the um, Office of Director of National Intelligence Election Czar. Well, she was. I mean, that she'd been moved. But So if you look at the second post in this thread, in October 2020, just five days after the New York Post story, uh, Shelby, Shelby Pearson's boss, who is John Radcliffe, he was a former Director of National Intelligence, states emphatically he's on uh, Maria Bartiromo's show, quote, Hunter Biden's laptop is not part of some Russian disinformation campaign. Again, which uh, Russian leak operation is Shelby talking about? So you guys remember, it was called Hack and Leak. This goes to the deposition of Elvis Chan, and, and they were notifying the social media companies that this Hunter Biden story was coming out, and it's a hack and leak operation by the Russians. So it's disinformation and must be suppressed just days before the election. So this is uh, this is so the the issue here is um, Yol Roth put out a sworn declaration with the FEC that you know he was stated that he was warned of expected hack and leak and that uh, by these government officials and that, that they did bring up uh, Hunter Biden's name. But then El Elvis Chan is in his deposition of Missouri v. Biden. He's denying that Hunter Biden's name came up. Yep. So. Is this Russian disinformation, director? So, Marie, it's funny that uh, some of the people that complain the most about uh, intelligence being politicized are the ones politicizing intelligence. And unfortunately, in this case, uh, it is Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence uh, Committee, who, uh, as you pointed out on Friday, said that the intelligence community believes that Hunter Biden's laptop and the emails on it are, are part of some Russian disinformation campaign. Let me be clear. The intelligence community doesn't believe that uh, because there's no intelligence that supports that. And we have shared no intelligence with Chairman Schiff or any other member of Congress that Hunter Biden's laptop is part of some Russian disinformation campaign. It's simply not true. And this is exactly what I said I would stop when I became the director of national intelligence. And that's people using the intelligence community to leverage some political narrative. And in this case, Apparently, Chairman Schiff wants anything against his preferred political candidate to be deemed as not real and is using the intelligence community or attempting to use the intelligence community to say there's nothing to see here. Um, don't drag the intelligence community into this. Hunter Biden's laptop is not part of some Russian disinformation campaign, and I think it's clear that the American people know that. Is this... And again, so, yeah. so what bothers me about this, Trash, is that that video, that interview, was five days after the New York Post story. So you have the, John Ratcliffe at the time. He is the top dog of the intelligence community. He's the director of national intelligence. He is in charge. He is the boss of the CIA director, uh, FBI director, Chris Wray, uh, all the people 
answer to him. He, you know, if he were to, if, if a director were to be fired, the president would go to John Ratcliffe, tell them and Ratcliffe would go fire. That's how the, just so people understand the food chain. So he's telling us the world that it is not Russian information and uh, telling everyone that the intelligence community has nothing to suggest it is yet the FBI was and the ODNI even Shelby Pearson who worked in this is what disturbs me is they were telling social media that it was and the story was was banned from if you posted it you were suspended so this is one angle of this that uh is disappointing me that the weaponization committee is not exploring is why were people under john ratcliffe's uh command basically going around what he's publicly stating and telling something different to social media because it wasn't just social media acting alone i mean we heard zuckerberg on uh, joe rogan right that fbi came to him i mean they were told by fbi agents elvis chan and whoever else and shelby pearson that it was russia disinformation that's why they took it down yeah, and we're seeing like in this case, like on the next post, like Elvis Chan, right? He was deposed in the Missouri v. Biden case. He does ID Pearson and Pearson will obviously seem to be acting against the wishes of her boss. And how many more people within the government, within the, even in the intel community? Because listen, this is not a blanket. This is not a blanket uh, blame of everyone in intel community. It seems to be these specific people. That's why they need to be ID'd. Shelby Pearson's one of them. And he had actually named as one of four government officials that warned social media about the hack and leak, quote unquote, uh, operation ahead of the 2020 election. This is right here from the deposition in the case. It says, A, I believe the senior election official from ODNI would have flagged that as a concern because that was a concern across the entire U.S. government. The question was, who is that? And Elvis Chan says, at the time, the senior election official was Shelby Pearson. And the question was, what did Mr. Is that a Mr. or Ms.? It's a Ms. Pearson. So what did Ms. Pearson say about the concern for social media platforms in these meetings? Elvis says, I don't recall exactly what she said, but the sentiment would have been similar to what I already conveyed, which is that I was concerned about a potential for a hack and leak operations. So the, the, we know this. And then you'll rob. So, so here's here's another part that disturbs me is on that tweet you read, I quote tweeted Andrew Bailey and he's laying blame on the FBI. Well, that deposition was on his case, Missouri v. Biden, and you have officials from other agencies being named. So why isn't he uh, deposing Shelby Pearson? She still works for the government. She works uh, in a different intelligence agency. But, you know, these are parts of it that I, I don't understand. Like he has the information he should be exploring what the other agencies were doing because he has the names of these people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then obviously Joel Roth here in the next one, he's talking about a sworn de in this sworn declaration. He's had weekly meetings with the office of director of national intelligence, Homeland security and the FBI. He was also warned of an expected hack and leak. Um, and then obviously go to number five. That's what I was telling you about. Mm -hmm. uh, number five is where they put out their un the DNI put out their unclassified report on uh, uh, assessment on foreign threats to the 2020 election. 
you should just read that whole paragraph. It's hilarious. Oh, I know. It's hilarious. I'm going to read it, too. So it's saying that Russian state media trolls and online proxies, including those directed by Russian intelligence, published disparaging content about President Biden and his family and the Democratic Party and heavily amplified related con- content circulating in the U.S. media, including stories centered on his son. These influence actors frequently sought out U.S. contributors to increase their reach into U.S. audiences. In addition to election-related content, these online influence actors also promoted conspiratorial narratives about the COVID-19 pandemic. They made allegations. They made allegations of social media censorship and highlighted U.S. divisions surrounding protests about racial justice. Literally everything in there, guys. We. <laughs> it's so absurd. So that's my point. Yeah. Is that. Uh, the, the loophole that in this ruling in Missouri v. Biden, where they 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 sort of let they're still allowing the government to uh, work with social media on national security threat type things. Well, they just that thing that trash read. They're blaming Russia for everything. Yeah, uh, including uh, Tracy Beans and myself and Patrick. We're we're all uh, Russian propagandists, by the way. I didn't know if you guys knew that, but uh, yes, I'm a Russian uh, sex bot. Just so you guys know. Um, so also this is, uh, Shelby yet again, if you guys remember, John Ratcliffe said no one from ODI and I was authorized. However, uh, this is uh, Shelby Pearson stating in fact that they were sharing information with the intelligence community with social media platforms to consider relative to their terms of service and how to remediate inauthentic content. So if we look at the details of the case of the Missouri v. Biden that we've gone over now, this is part three, take a listen to what she had to say back then. I think you've heard us and many others talk about publicly the very good work in terms of sharing information from the intelligence community with social media platforms to consider relative to their terms of service how to remediate inauthentic content. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence would have only been authorized to participate in Trump National Security Council approved and coordinated process for uh, election security briefings to groups of private companies. So it would include companies like Twitter, but many other companies, YouTube, Microsoft, uh, as well as state election officials to talk about threats. None of those meetings, but Maria, would have had anything to do with content moderation, much less anything to do with uh, specifically about the Biden laptop as Russian disinformation. So there never would have been any authority or reason for anyone uh, within the intelligence community to be saying anything otherwise. Um, so, uh, you know, I think that's pretty clearly stated. And uh, in looking at the Twitter files, I did look and see in Matt Taibbi's substack where he said that there were weekly meetings between the FBI and DHS uh, and Twitter. And I know there are whistleblowers that are saying that as well. But Matt Taibbi also says there was only one reference to my office uh, and someone liaising with my office. And I assume that that I certainly hope that that was part of the National Security Council approved process for election security briefings. Which is, yeah, I have questions about that in retrospect. That's a problem. Yeah. Right. Because she she clearly admits that she discussed content moderation and her boss uh then says that no one from the intelligence community was authorized to have those discussions so congress has this uh you know uh, bailey has this i hope that more comes of it especially 
through Missouri v. Biden, I think, is the biggest chance for maybe the ODNI's role in this to come up. Um, so we'll see. Yeah, I mean, you guys can... Yeah, I, I got to go here. Can, can I make a point real quick? It, yeah, is it directly related to this or... Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so um, she, she brought up Matt Taibbi um, and in the Twitter files that came out um, through his in, investigative reporting that like that Twitter was labeling things that, you know, she and other intelligence uh, community officials um, did, did not like. Twitter was just straight up labeling it as Russian. Um, so their their angle at it, as you guys have said, is to call things they don't like Russian disinformation or conspiracy theory. Um, so, so yeah, but thanks for bringing me up, Trash. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Uh, Ocean, did you want to throw a comment in here? Because I want to continue on, then I'll close it down. Um, yeah, just in the beginning, it made it, she made it sound like anybody could be called a foreign agent and covertly be feeding information to, you know, through Twitter or whatever platform. And to me, that's really troubling. Well, that's correct. And so, okay, so like a lot of these, a lot of these uh, offices, the reason that they were using like these NGOs and like these basically what I call band-aid organizations and all these other additional organizations of the universities, the reason they were using them is because anytime they needed to do something extra constitutional, they would use these private groups to do so. And then they would make the argument that social media are private companies that can do what they want. But obviously, clearly with this case and everything we're going over, that's not really the case. But one of the main reasons for labeling everything Russian uh, disinformation and misinformation is they're able to use their tools. They then lump them into these buckets, these tranches full of like, you know, 50,000 names. My account included. I found it in there. Uh, Patrick, Tracy, a lot of other people I've mentioned that got banned during this time. Um, I was directly caught up as a foreign malign influence person, uh, but I'm clearly not. <laughs> like I was making memes, for God's sakes. You sure? Yeah, right. Yeah. But, uh, and so that's the point, is that they, they were able to do this extra constitutionally by suggesting that you were part of a foreign uh, influence operation, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And that's what enabled them to do this. Yeah, as, a, as an Armenian who was born in Iran and whose PhD thesis was on bomb protection, that's, that's very scary to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... And then number seven here, uh, Shelby Pearson says domestic censorship on social media is justified if the intelligence community determines that it's foreign sponsored. So she says, quote, if we're aware that this information is foreign sponsored, we want to do everything we can to manage this information. So check, listen to this. We know that Americans are spreading misinformation. Sometimes they're doing it deliberately. Sometimes they're not at all doing it deliberately. It can be a post on social media that we don't know is fake. Is that a bigger threat to the election than foreign interference? Well, I think there's two aspects of that. You know, let's be very clear that, of course, the federal government encourages and wants as broad and free speech as possible. That is a principle of our country, and it's probably one of the most valuable cornerstones of our society. So we want people to engage in public exchange, political exchange, and to have that freedom unfettered from foreign interference. But at the same time, I think we also want to make sure that if we or the firms involved are aware that this information is foreign sponsored and is covert in terms of its sponsorship to the user, we want to do everything we can to manage that information. We know that Americans are spreading misinformation. Sometimes they're doing it. That's crazy. So they want to manage it. Uh, 
so to be clear, Shelby Pearson is far more adept at, at coding her language and what she, how she says things than many of these other clowns. Uh, a lot of these people can't covert. Yeah, right, right. Uh, what's, what's that? I said I, I would say like a psychopath. Oh, 100%. And I, I don't even know if I want to call them psychopaths. Like, I think they're just, they've just been eating their own shit for so long that they really believe that there is their patriotic duty to maintain a sane narrative in the country and protect this country from threats like populism or like these evil anti-vaxxers or these Trump, Trump tarred people, these filthy unwashed people. How dare they? It's just a, it's a, I mean, you're, you're, you're what you're listening to. That is a, when, when you hear about deep state, that that's who you're listening to. This is a this is a lifelong person who worked. Uh, what is it? The, the interspatial uh, intelligence agency. It's just some obscure intelligence agency I've not heard of, but she worked there for twenty some odd years, and then got this this election threat executive role for a couple of years. Did her thing, and then went right back to her old agency. This is a lifelong uh, intelligence agent this is their mindset so you're getting a glimpse of the way they think and you know there, there's more videos as you I go on name. i did a timeline from the 1900s all the way up to 2019 i'm supposed to be finishing this off to have a space and, and hopefully trash can help me with it but uh, i did a timeline and i tied about 4,000 organizations and there were like almost 25,000 names uh in this that have inherited this so yes you're right they do feel like this is their duty this is what they were born to do because they were born into it some of them yep. globally yeah absolutely and it's just they're so diluted um that they believe that they are doing the right thing. That's what's so horrible about this. And it's not a, a Republican no. uh, Democrat no. thing. It is a, it is a establishment sort of neocon thing that they're going to get behind George W. Bush, Obama, Biden, that that's just, that's where these people are at. Yep. This is why we have to stop the uni party. You know, this is a whole cabal and uh, unfortunately it's not going to stop unless we, do what we're doing right here, right now. Yeah, these are the useful idiots that prop up the establishment. That's what these people are. So, number eight, partnerships with social media and tech firms. So, in January of 2020, Pearson spoke at the EAC Summit. She's confirming that the intelligence community, social media, and tech firms are in partnership. Uh, yeah, Bill Evanina. Like, this is my guy. But I, I, go, I went after Bill Evanina for different reasons. Like, obviously, for censorship and everything else. But I'm going to, I go, I went after Bill Evanina for, uh, you know, Joe Biden, Hunter Biden's antics in Ukraine, Charles McGonagall, who was the former director of the counterterrorism uh, unit of the FBI in New York City, that just got uh, arrested earlier this year. Um, and so, you know, Charlie, old Charlie McGonagall, he's uh, he's quite the character as well. But Bill Abenina and Charles go way back. I mean, these guys, like, this is deep rot, deep state stuff. Like, this goes deep. Surprised we haven't heard more on that guy. Yeah, well, the case is still it's still going. I've been kind of keeping an eye on it because you know I did that massive space on it, um, like three or four months ago. It's actually where I think that's where Matt Taibbi and Mike Benz met. I think maybe it was a Twitter files one. I don't know, but Bill Evanina. Anyway, he's uh, he's a character. So here he is. In addition, well, as I mentioned in the opening part of my statement, this is a partnership. And it's not a partnership that stops within the federal government. I am keenly aware 
of the pressure that my state and local colleagues face every day as those that are responsible for securing the elections. The exposure of the intelligence community to my state and local partners, again, through, and through DHS and FBI, has been remarkable. To really understand, mutually understand one another, I think has been a critical step forward since 2016. But it can't stop there because we also have constituencies among social media firms and among tech firms who also have cognizance and information and opportunity that the intelligence community or the US government doesn't have. And again, I think you've seen and have read about the opportunities um, that we are pursuing to continue to integrate that relationship with the constituencies, again, in Silicon Valley and in our private firms to make sure that even that seam and gap is stitched. I'd actually be proud to talk about that, Aruna. I think, uh, from my is. perspective, what we accomplished uh, the past two years, but specifically the last six to nine months, uh, as an integrated, holistic government effort in partnership with social media and tech firms uh, is unprecedented. And I think it's really going to be the model of the future moving forward. Yeah, and, and keep in mind, that's just the external stitches that they're talking about, the partnerships from directly from government to these third-party organizations or just social media companies directly. Um, that, that's one kind of partnership. The other kind of partnership that Bill Ebenina bragged about is, um, you know, once you're in the intel community, you're always in it, whether you're actually still in it or not. Like a lot of these people, that, these executives and people that leave the intel community and go work at these social media firms, uh, name, you've got an extensive thread on how many are at Google and Meta and all these other all these other platforms we saw the Twitter files who was involved there, like th this stitching and this partnership that they're talking about is not just the obvious that's being stated in the, in the Missouri v. Biden case. It's also the people that left and get cushy, very very well paid jobs, leaving the intel community and going to work in these social media companies. And as Bill Ebenezer had said, you know, we, we, once you're in the intel community, you're in for life, regardless. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. I'll play that. I have that clip cool. loaded, but. That's why I try to make everyone aware that, um, yes, we, it, is, it is July 5th, 2023. One month ago, Aaron Berman was promoted or given a new role at Meta as the head of elections content globally for Meta. Now, he joined Facebook in 2019, and he wrote their misinformation policy and he built their misinformation policy team this is him he he says this on his own linkedin i'm not making this up he he was a 17 year uh cia operative he was so senior and high up he was the guy writing again on his linkedin he was writing presidential daily briefs for for trump like he was in he was doing it during trump's uh, first two years um, he's a very, very senior CIA guy, 17 years, leapfrogged right over to Facebook and built out their misinformation team. He, he says this on his LinkedIn profile. And as of one month ago, he's the head of elections content for Meta. And that should be, everyone should, this, he should be a household name. It should be known that a CIA operative is in charge of elections content at Facebook and Instagram. So again, here's what uh, Bill Evanina said about people that work for the intelligence community. 
That being said, in the community, it's very similar, whether you're CIA, NSA, NGA, and what does make a difference. What we have in the community, in the FBI, probably more than anybody, once we get them in, we own them for life. Because the mission is so strong, no one ever leaves. The hard part, though, is getting them in. Yeah, like it's crazy. He literally says, you know, the hard part's getting them in. Once you got it, once they're in, we got them for life. Like, the, they brag about this openly, you guys. It's all out there. Like, it's just, oh, God. <clears throat> what he's trying to say is, like, you know, they want to get people in the agencies early on, out of, you know, college or out of the military in their 20s, okay? Because once they're so young, they can mold these people into being their foot soldiers for life. And then once they leave to go to the private sector, they're still wearing that hat. Okay. They're still, they identify themselves as, you know, I mean, look at Aaron Berman's, uh, I don't know if his profile is still locked. Every time he comes up, he makes his profile private. Like, I don't understand these people. Like if you work for the CIA, like you don't need to go tell everyone you did, but he feels like it's a badge of honor, which, okay, fine. But they start at a young age, they're molded and that's their mindset going forward, no matter what job they take in the future. That's what Evanina is sort of referring to is that the mission is so strong. We own them for life. Uh, whether that is them staying in the agencies or them leaving and going to the private sector, which the research I've done since 2018, over 300 of these people have left the intelligence community and worked for big tech. And uh, some of them in the most sensitive areas, which is Google and Facebook, are all managed by former CIA operatives. Um, they say so on their LinkedIn. They don't hide it. Yeah, no, they don't. And what's even, what, well, as a side note, what's really kind of funny is that CEO of her, uh, Anheuser Bush and Bud Light, he used to work for the CIA too. <laughs> Go look at his resume. <laughs> it's like, I mean, these people can, you know, it's, yeah. it's a free world. They can go work wherever yeah. they want. It's but just funny. It's just, we got to ask ourselves a question. You know, we know the CIA and what they're in the business of doing, right? Um, be, they operate in secret, overseas, doing what they do. They, it, it is what it is, okay? Do we want those people deciding what is or is not misinformation? Right. On the biggest social media platforms. Well, let's let's put it, let's put let's pose the question another way. Do you want people judging what kind of speech is should be allowed in our free speech country? They these same people that are well schooled in toppling governments, regime change, color revolutions. You think it's a good idea that they also have their hands on the on the arbit the arbitration of truth in the country? I don't think so. And I mean, part, part of the, just real quick, part of the definition of the World Health Organization's um, um, infodemic is even if it's too much truth, like they, they have truth, but just in just an abundance of information, I should go pull it up, but it was crazy that even the fact that it might be too much information 
um, whether it's truthful or not. Let me go pull it up. I mean, it's it's insane. How can how can they even determine, you know, whether or not like I'm having too much truth? Like, it's it's insane. Yeah, well, it, it came out in the Twitter files and it was exposed. And it's called malinformation, where it's information that's true, uh, but it may cause hesitancy for vaccines, or it may cause people to question what they're being told, or it's not that it's untrue. It's actually true. It's just still damaging. Um, it's just still damaging as, uh, as information. So we need to block it, censor it. And you know what that, that, that's caused because, um, vaccine hesitancy Mm -hmm. is labeled one of the top 10 global threats. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. I think they didn't, um, all right, so it started with, the, you know, them dumbing down America, putting their common core math. I guess they were just really underestimating, you know, uh, in Spanish, we say, no contaban con mi astucia, which means they didn't think that the American public would catch on to their BS and, you know, uh, start working together, which is why they kept us separate. So um, I really want to thank every one of you guys for doing your due diligence to dig, investigate. I mean, I hope that you go back and listen to this space and you do the drawing board. I mean, you've got plenty of names. you got enough material here. Thank you, Trash, for doing what you're doing. If you're not following Trash, I'm probably just going to have to unfollow you guys because you're really missing out. And, uh, you know, a name, absolutely follow him. Uh, I remember when Trash and, and Beanie came into it, my very first space. Uh, I was trying to do the spaces a while back, super censored. We could not get a single doctor or anybody. Then we tried it again. Trash and Beanie wandered off in my space. And then we started like, I told them, look, this is what's about to happen. And then like six weeks later, they're like, holy cow, we had no idea you guys were real. I'm like, no, like, this is real. Like, we are super censored. This is a fact. I mean, it's sad that we're just now a year later, uh, almost talking about this, because when, you know, I was getting the the emails from the Twitter, uh, you know, lawyers that were helping, you know, the doctors and for the medical censorship, and I'm having to log and, and, you know, pretty much document everything that was happening with inconsistencies with the algorithms and all the social platforms, you know, Facebook, and you name them. Um, and now here we are just barely being able to tell you guys this is it's kind of sad, but in a way it feels like oh, almost a light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you all. Yeah, well, you're welcome. And uh, I mean, we again, remember who, who wrote the policy for COVID? Uh, Aaron Berman. And I have him on a YouTube with Renee Deresta discussing exactly how they implement their COVID uh, censorship policies. It's, it's hilarious. I mean, you can't make it up. Uh, they don't hide. And these, these videos I find, they only get like maybe 100 views on YouTube. And they're still up there. It's, it's pretty funny. They really um, underestimated. You, you, you know who else wrote? Uh, <laughs> I don't know where they find these people. So Aaron Berman's, you know, the main guy at Facebook. But another person that is uh uh taking responsibility or claiming that he helped write the covid misinformation policy is a former doj attorney who worked for Mueller. uh he's in the dc branch that was on the prosecuting team going after roger stone so there was like i guess the doj had put out sentencing guidelines that the prosecutors all objected to so they all quit the case so this guy i think his name is michael miranda he quit the the doj and went right over to facebook and now he's another manager of misinformation policy and he claims on his linkedin that he helped write their covid misinformation policy 
I think That's I like crazy. this material. We should put in our new acquisition of Twitter's uh, shenanigans. I think they added the highlights. So we need to start throwing all this in the highlights, whatever that means. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to switch topics a little bit because we pretty much understand Shelby Pearson. She helps me make, make my point and help me make names point well. So I'm going to shift over to Aaron Berman and CIA Renee since many people asked about CIA Renee. But before I do, Kai, you joined us. What's up? Yeah, no, I, I came in at the perfect time. I was just, you know, there's a science created out of disinformation. I've probably said it in five different spaces, five different times. And, and that science comes from Russia. I mean, they're known. There's an entire book uh, written about this disinformation and, and how it's disseminated and used against. And the CIA in lockstep, you know, adopted that training. We know that it's been it's been proven. And, and the largest asset from, um, you know, Russian training you know, defected to America and brought that straight to the CIA, all the systems, right? And so now it's being used against the American public. And it used to be that, you know, the CIA operated, you know, off board um, in other countries. And now we're seeing it being used as policies here in America and where other countries don't have, you know, a free speech amendment, you know, we do, and they're trying to curtail it in any possible way. And I find that highly concerning because this is just like the first stab at it. And there's many other things coming. I'm hearing arguments about, you know, languaging changes and people leaving the left now, um, not because of all the misinformation they learned that was true, is because they don't want to be called cis or, you know, all these other horrible terms I'm not going to even bring up that's in, in the, you know, new um, atmosphere right now. But I, I, I don't know how, how do we unravel this, um, because this seems a very, it seems like the 800-pound gorilla and it feels like it came out of nowhere, but it must not have, obviously, right? It was all kind of pre-cooked into the social media um, recipe of how they were going to use that. And that started with LifeLog uh, out of DARPA. And in transition, you know, LifeLog got turned off what, at 6 a.m. and, and, and uh, Facebook started at 7 a.m. So all that comes out of those musings. And it'd be interesting to see these guys in key positions and key companies making these you know, positions, how many of them were part of the research funding associated with DARPA and these large university systems. So I think that's integral to this. Thanks. Yeah, and the Missouri v. Biden case is, is tackling some of this. Uh, fortunately, uh, the funding has been cut, preventing the Pentagon from funding a lot of these. Uh, so that that's also good news. So it's, it's slowly unraveling. Uh, but remember, I said I wanted to pivot to Aaron Berman. So he, he's on a discussion with Stanford and CIA Renee. And uh, Aaron says here that Facebook works with a global network of over 80 fact checker organizations who direct on Facebook, who direct Facebook on which posts to reduce distribution, ad warning labels, and shadow ban. Again, this is Aaron Berman, former CIA at over at election, basically, what is it, election integrity at Meta now? So, and this is obviously him talking with CIA Renee. And similarly, for content that, again, does not violate our policies, we also work with a global network of more than 80 fact-checking organizations around the world in more than 60 languages. And for with these partners, when they find posts, including about COVID or vaccines, that they rate as false, we reduce their distribution. We also, um, this is part of our informed strategy, we add warning labels, uh, and we make it less likely that people will see them in feed. Um, and so that's the holistic strategy that we have of providing authoritative information more informed, removing harmful misinformation, and addressing this borderline content 
which adds up to our, our whole strategy that yeah, ideally gets it a better end. <laughs> just, I'm, not gonna play, I'm just going to play the next one because it's just ridiculous. Yeah. I'm just going to play the next one because it's ridiculous. For some examples, we had labels on posts about COVID-19 and vaccines to show additional information from the WHO. Um, and um, when we do remove misinformation from the platform, which I'll talk about in a second, we built a tool so that um, we notify users who saw that misinformation before we removed it so that they have access to the authoritative information that corrects it. So that's in a, in a large bucket are uh, part of our inform work here. On remove for COVID-19, um, we do have a policy to remove harmful misinformation related to this topic. Uh, specifically, we remove content that has been debunked as false and leading to physical harm by public health experts related to the pandemic. So these are things like fake preventative measures, claims the virus doesn't exist, or um, this also includes a variety of claims about vaccines. Uh, the idea here is to uh, remove misinformation that could lead to imminent physical harm by somebody maybe not receiving appropriate treatment or exposing themselves to the disease. Um, so on vaccines specifically, in December last year, we started removing false claims about the vaccine, again, that fall within this category. And we've expanded the list of claims we remove about vaccines in general earlier this year in consultation with health experts. And we're continuing to make uh, updates to these policies as trends emerge, um, including just this week, in fact. And we also remove uh, pages, groups, and Instagram accounts that repeatedly violate these policies to get at those entities that might uh, repeatedly spread this content. And then finally, the third part of the strategy addressing borderline content, which could lead to vaccine hesitancy, which falls into the reduced area. Um, so we do reduce the distribution of certain content uh, about vaccines that doesn't otherwise violate our policies. And our approach oh, here is really grounded in guidance that we've gotten from health experts that uh, who've emphasized the idea that overcoming vaccine hesitancy really depends on people being able to ask legitimate questions about safety and efficacy and get those questions answered by trusted sources. But at the same time, we also realize that certain of this content could, could lead to hesitancy. Um, so we, we reduce its distribution. And similarly for content. Yeah, you're not allowed to ask doctors or, or specialists. You're only allowed to ask the Ministry of Truth what is true or not. So... Uh, he wanted to make that very clear that the Ministry of Truth, so not only if you guys caught it, he said, not only do we uh, take down those posts, but then we allow the, the user to then get a trusted source for all the authoritative. Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. The approved Ministry of Truth uh, fact check. So that's who was censoring you at uh, Meta, you guys, if you wanted to know. So he's trash. In, in charge what's of elections the, now. Yeah. What's the legal? What's the what? What is the legal implication at this point? So let's say, you know, uh, young people did not know about the risk of myocarditis and they were pressured by their college, and they're on you know Instagram or Facebook, and this guy is the one writing the policy. Can we? We can now civilly sue him directly, because he's basically taking control of those features of the company. And then of course his company will provide him, you know, with legal uh, representation. But we. People need to start filing lawsuits who've well, had severe injuries or who have passed away directly against these uh, mother flowers. Well, you know what, Stealth? Like uh, in the Missouri v. Biden, I believe it was Bailey, one of the attorneys, uh, they put out a thread. And there were a lot. That's why we keep saying the Missouri v. Biden is going to get us more, way more information than Twitter files through discovery. They published emails uh, from 
Facebook or between Facebook and the White House. Uh, and one of them specifically uh, was about Facebook's uh, COVID uh, misinformation policy. And when you read the thing, it, it, it's exactly what you just heard. It, it was definitely written. That email was definitely written by Aaron Berman because what trash played is the same language in that body of that email, but they uh, redact the name of the uh, sender at Facebook. So, uh, yeah, you, you're you're right. They there should be, if there aren't already, lawsuits directly at uh, directed towards Facebook for this because they wouldn't allow people to discuss alternative remedies. I mean, they, they wouldn't allow physicians and <laughs> to. So the, the interesting thing is, is just like Project 65, where they're going after late lawyers or anybody associated with, you know, you know, providing any help to the Republican side or, or or to Trump. And so, too, we can go after these types of people, like give them a little bit of taste of their own medicine. You start personally suing them for liability for their. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of to make them change their behavior. That's what I was thinking is, is can people file like a personal lawsuit against these people for their uh, censorship? Yeah, I, I don't know. That's definitely not up my alley, but uh, I encourage everyone to look into it. Please do. Uh, myself, personally, I unfortunately will not be able to sue uh, because I didn't fucking take it. So, <laughs> but anyway. Well, the ones that did sue, it, the the lawsuits were basically just slapped on the wrist because of Section 230 and its liability. So there's a lot of issues we still need to fix before we can hold these people accountable. Yeah, 100%. Well, and, you know, this, in, this injunction uh, ahead of the election is really interesting. It's going to get pretty spicy. So we'll see how they do that. Well, guys, we're moving on almost four hours at this point, three hours and 42 minutes. So probably going to get final you thoughts. Like five What's that? I said I can send you like five more hours of material, but yeah. I want you to rest your voice. I'm going to rest my voice a bit. It's three hours and 42 minutes. So, But any final thoughts, guys, before I close this down? Okay. I just want to say thanks. Thank you guys. Thank you guys for going over all this. It's been a time to do it. And uh, thank you for catching me up and stuff. Sorry, I've been so busy, but I'm so glad to have you guys as friends and keep me up and keep me informed and making sure I don't fall into any, uh, you know, left wing nut job stuff or it's coming from everywhere now. So anyways, I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Yeah. And for everybody in the space, if you look down in the chat, I actually threaded essentially all the content that I went over today. Um, starting with Tracy's threads. Tracy was in here earlier. Thank goodness she came in. Um, the, her Missouri v. Biden coverage. We've been. This is part three. This is the third space I've done on this. Now that we have an injunction uh, ruling, so if you guys want to get caught up, there's the mega thread down there on everything in her original reporting. Then the breaking on the order for temporary injunction. Uh, Andrew Bailey's little thread that he put together, kind of review of where we're at so far. The full memorandum ruling is down there as well, about 155 pages from the judge. And then we were going over Shelby Pearson as just an example of basically what they're talking about within this Missouri v. Biden case and how people like Shelby Pearson out of the Office of Director of National Intelligence was directly interfering and putting pressure on social media companies, um, usually through CISA, as, this, as CISA was the switchboard for all of this, which is under the Department of Homeland Security uh, umbrella. 
And all of it's right there. I'd encourage you guys to go take a look at it. A lot of the work's there. Follow everybody up on the, on the uh, stage here. But I appreciate everyone. Did you guys have any final thoughts? Yeah, I just want everybody who's listening, there's a lot of people listening to retweet the space. Uh, we cannot be worried about liking each other right now because we have a country to save. Um, so if you don't retweet this, you're doing a disservice to everybody else that needs to hear this information. So we need to get past, you know, personalities, emotions, feelings, you know, um, all of that stuff that they, you know, use against the American people. So if you really want to help uh, share this space, retweet it, uh, follow everybody up here, because once the space is over, everybody just kind of dis disperses and you know grow your voice uh, become a citizen journalist you know help out do your research uh, work solo if you have to for the beginning uh, but again you know just do something we need a ton of help appreciate you Carolina yeah um, everyone build up some voices if that's what if that's your thing if not you know dig in information if that's not your thing I don't know just share it with people that would be their thing whatever it takes but uh, uh, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm, gonna I'm not paid for this. I know. So what's that? If you, if you guys, uh, I would make one request. If you know uh, any of these uh, larger accounts like Jordan Peterson, RFK, any of these people that are having their videos pulled down uh, and you know them or they follow you or you can DM them, uh, make them aware of who's in charge of censorship at these platforms because things may start to make a little more sense. Like, for example, we're going to end the space, but for example, uh, Nick Rossman, who is a senior manager of uh, uh, trust and safety at Google YouTube, uh, had extensive tweets under his account of calling anti-vaxxers Nazis and Confederates. Uh, he's just a radical or based on the things he tweeted he's a radical liberal mindset person this is the guy who and he also wished or seemed to wish death on uh trump uh, voters from covid that was another tweet he put out that's the person who is part of the team managing misinformation at google oh and he's also a former cia guy so what was his name name uh nick rossman it's in it's in my uh just go to my pinned uh tweet that thread read it everything's yeah. documented before you know the next election just go out and also do the precinct stuff vote uh, appropriately stop fanning over all the damn democrats and liberals that are just telling you what you want to hear we cannot be you know uh, accepting any climax hoax you know any abortion stuff anything that threatens our you know real republic uh, the border issues all of that just you know stop fanning over crazy democrats that just sell us you know things and, and they're just one single issue that you just side with so that's my advice you know uh, vote pro god pro family pro life pro america first I concur, Doctor. Uh, Misha, did you have something to add before I close this down? Yeah. Um, one thing, like, and this is random, I, I guess I don't, don't want to open a can of worms, but maybe something trash for you to talk about on a future space is um, before, like, uh, the primary really got underway, a lot of people were thinking, like, a Trump-DeSantis joint ticket. I, I, I think that's not uh, really a possibility now, but... The um, I guess the counter that I heard going into 2022 and then afterwards was that uh, DeSantis would be term limited as governor. And that is the thing. So after 2026, he can't run again for governor. And like my idea was 
or what I would suggest would be, hey, be like the leading role in terms of supporting Trump going to 2024, drop out, be the leading role, come up with a joint fundraising grassroots strategy, stay as governor, unimpeded state house, um, unimpeded state senate, you pass whatever you want, you get Trump and you essentially going like hand in hand in terms of the policy messaging. And then once you're done as governor in 2026 to keep you relevant, Trump appoints you to something. And keep in mind, like if Trump wins in 2024 and then, you know, he's appointing people, obviously some of those people are going to leave. DeSantis goes into a sweet position and then Trump endorses him in 2028, backs him, same grassroots strategy, same fundraising strategy. DeSantis wins in 2028. Like, I feel like that would have been my ideal goal. And I'm going to shut up and I realize I opened a can of worms, but trash, oh. I would love to talk to you then. About yeah, and we'll, we'll have a space about it, I think. I'll, I'll just say something really quick to that, and then I do need to give an update on this case specifically. There's just uh, a, a recent update to the case just now came out. But uh, no, I mean, I think that, that uh, if his if DeSantis isn't careful, his comms people are going to ruin that chance for him. So they need to chill out, or they need to figure out a better way to message, because if they don't chill, they're going to ruin his political career. It's not, it's not doing anything. I, I, I've told that indirectly, Trash, if I'm being honest. I've told that indirectly. Like, I yeah. still like DeSantis. I've told that to some people. I hope they take that advice. Yep. So real quick, guys, uh, as of a few minutes ago, it looks like it was filed today. <clears throat> uh, the, the government has actually filed an appeal to the uh, temporary injunction. So they're actually filing. So pursuant to federal rule of appellate procedure, all defendants hereby appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals, the Fifth Circuit, uh, the court's July 4th preliminary injunction order. So they actually want to appeal this to say, wait a minute, no, 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 we need to be able to censor American citizens' speech. Yes, we know that you've seen everything on this public record, but we would like to appeal this injunction and we feel like we didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, they, they, they want to appeal this decision. It's a fascinating, fascinating turn of events. So uh, we've made it all the way to the latest update. There is the appeal. So it's all there. I put it down in the in the chat. It's all threaded. Everything that we talked about today is kind of threaded. Not as in like a great thread. It's just all there. So it's easy to 